The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? This is the Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson here, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chill and let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping it strong style the ace of podcasts on the social suplex podcast network jeremy donovan here with the young boy josh smith on today's show, we'll be interviewing the Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson, reviewing Collision Night 2, talking about Moxie vs. Tagata, answering your questions, and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suit Bucks Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuitbucks.com. Check out our Pro Tea store, ProSlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate. And click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like Dark Mode, Improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronizing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm fucking embarrassed right now. (laughs) Okay? I'm embarrassed because you put out this tweet today, and it goes viral. You know, it's probably got the most interaction of any tweet that we've ever had on our little page uh and i i've been a little overwhelmed by it i mean it's not and and also the the other thing too is the tweet has nothing to do with you or i or the show so it it tells me that people are a lot more into royce isaacs ren narita and AEW dark and the forbidden door than they are in like say my birthday um Which is fine. That's cool. It's whatever. But, uh, you know, we got a lot of new followers, which was awesome. And, you know, lots of interactions. And then come to find out this match that you have promoted on our page that got all this interaction doesn't even happen. Now you have to put out a retraction. You know, there's people, you know, upset. And and I'm upset, quite frankly. And, like, I I think this is the last time we should ever tweet something that is AEW related on our page again. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Because... Yeah. Guys looking, you know, keeping a strong style is down bad right now. Yeah, TK, man, so like a fool today. You know, <laughs> here's what happened, guys. So this morning we get we get sent, what had happened was <laughs> we get sent the the AEW dark graphic for Narita versus Isaacs. It's something that where that come from? 
So, uh, you know, it, it came from one of our sources that it got, it got sent to us and this match is happening. So I was like, oh, you know, of course we were all excited. Uh, I put I put the match out there. I put the graphic out there. It was one of the graphics. It was sized like it was posted on their Instagram story. So that's assumed where the, the original source came from. Tweeted it out, of course, on our Twitter account, at KI Strong Style. Like you mentioned, Josh, tweet went viral. Tons of likes, tons of retweets, tons of replies of everybody excited about this matchup. Um, a few hours later, I see one of the guys in the match, Royce Isaacs. He comments on Twitter about the match, and he, hold on, let me see, because the tweet is uh, no longer up there. I took a screen capture of this, so just, you know, so y'all know. The receipts. Yeah, I got the receipts here. So uh, Royce, actually, he tweeted out, he said, following up yesterday's at AEW Dark Elevation match with a heated hashtag AEW Dark Clash, this time with some NJPW Strong Flair versus Ren Narita, let's get it. So Isaac's Put out, you know, he commented about the match, making it seem like the match was, was on, it was happening. Um, then the Wrestling Observer website, they, they put out their article for AW Dark, said the match was happening. I saw a bunch of all their other dirt sheets uh, putting out that the match was happening. Uh, and then next thing you know, I see Royce Isaac, he deletes his tweet, the AW Dark video that Taz posts and have the match featured. And so I was kind of wondering what was going on there. Um, and obviously Dark just got done um, airing on YouTube and no Renderita first Royce Isaacs match aired. So, it, you know, I personally would not have known that if you hadn't put the retraction. Like I would have thought to myself like, man, I wonder how good that Royce Isaacs Renderita match was. And then, you know, I probably would have gone looking for it in a few days and been really confused and kind of frustrated being like, yo, which of these 15 matches is the Red Narita match? Like, where is this? Why can't I find it? You know, only to find out that, uh, you know, we're wrong. We're, we're spreaders and purveyors of misinformation out here, you know? Yeah, we, we got caught up spreading false news, but I mean, it seems like the match... Yo, we, we should keep doing stuff like this because <laughs> this was good for us. This, You know what's funny? Like, we're always putting out premium content, very little interaction, you know? We put one one thing that's that's not true and, you know, the whole world is, you know, interacting with us. I think we need to start... Uh, you know, sensationalizing the stuff we put out there a little bit more, you know? Oh, boy. But uh, we, need, we need to stop being shooters, start being workers, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, well, well, clearly we got worked in this situation. And, you know, I did reach out to a couple sources that we have within AEW to kind of see what the deal was and to see if that match is airing. Because clearly, I, I would think if Royce Isaacs commented on the match actually got taped, it actually happened. Maybe it was just a, a a random dark match that wasn't actually supposed to be on dark, but I don't know why a, a graphic would have been made. Of course, that could have been falsified, but I feel like that, that would have taken a lot of work for somebody to get the exact matching of how AEW does their dark look, their dark graphics. So, man. The funny thing is, I don't know, I don't know who you talk to in the company. I know <laughs> if you say there's somebody that you talk to, there's somebody, but... Uh, like I'm, I'm like racking my brain. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll tell, I'll tell you. Tell me off the air. Yeah, I'll tell you off the air. But yeah, I, I, I sent <laughs> a couple DMs out because I want to, I want to know what was going on. And I'll see. Like you said, it makes, makes us look look bad because we put it out there. Tweet was what's blowing up. Um, also, there, there's people. Bro, it's it was like still getting likes until like 
15 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, there and there, there are people now starting to blow up in our mentions saying that they didn't see the match. So, uh, yeah, sorry guys. Um, we thought the match was happening. That was going to be on Dark tonight. So hopefully the, the match will hopefully it'll be on a future episode of AEW Dark. Uh, if not, um, we apologize. Sorry that. You know, we didn't get everything uh, sorted out there when we when we got the image. Listen, so. we, we didn't create this image, and this is clearly not like a doctored photo. Like, this is, look at Renarita's chest. He still has the marks on his chest from the recent, like, tapings from Strong. So, very clearly, like, this was, this is authentic AF, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, we didn't create this image. Like, as far as where the match is, when it happened who knows this might be like the tom mcgee you know brett brett hart you know match for AEW. you know it'll be 15 years from now they'll be doing a special documentary about the day when keeping a strong style tweeted and put the world on about red narita and you know it was not you know it was not to be but it might show up in like a special dvd like extra they won't even have dvds then it'll be like a special streaming extra <laughs> right yeah the hidden gem yeah um, as part of like disney's um you know wrestling you know <laughs> corner which will include literally all of wrestling wwe AEW, everything new japan all of it it'll just Freedoms. all be disney at that point yeah but yeah sorry guys that that was kind of a letdown i mean so we'll as soon as we get an update if we, if we do get an update we'll keep you guys updated on if that match is going to end up airing but, uh, oh, just send out a tweet. There's all you gotta do is tweet one thing: card subject to change. <laughs> that 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 is true. So, but yeah. So uh, enough of uh, the Narita debacle. Uh, got a good show for you here tonight. Uh, we have a special interview, like we mentioned in the intro. We mentioned last week the Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson. Uh, we actually got done interviewing him before we recorded this part of of the show here. Uh, great interview, guys. It's it's, it's going to be great. So, um, yeah, so we'll throw to the interview right now, and then we'll come back with the rest of the show. Thanks for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith, and we have a very special guest here today with us. We have the number one contender for the Strong Openweight Championship, the Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson. Chris, thanks for joining us, man. What's going on? How you doing? Doing good, man. Happy to have you here on Keeping a Strong Style. Like we talked before we started recording, uh, young boy and I, big fans of your work. We've seen you throughout several indies, several Mania weekends. So just uh, it's a great uh, honor just to talk to you tonight. No, thank you. It's an honor to have be on your show. I'm so glad you guys asked me to be on. I uh, get a lot of requests for these shows and podcasts and stuff, and I looked up your credentials and all that i was like oh these guys seem pretty serious so you know i usually don't do them or sometimes i do 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 them sometimes depending on how they how they seem but you guys seem pretty legit to me and (laughs) by judging by our conversation we've had already before we got on the air you seem to be have been following me for a long time so i i uh i appreciate that so what you're saying is remarks. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm the biggest mark of them all. You know, I could take. I get. Well, I know we're only recording audio, but I mean, I could take you on a tour around my apartment. I, I'm a mark. It's a mark of a mark out fest in here. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. We're we're really glad to have you, and uh, you know, especially considering you know this might be history. Like here in the next couple of weeks, you know, 
the second ever strong champion, like that's going to be dope. So <laughs> very well could be. Yeah. And, you know, you know, speaking about, you know, being a Mark and being a fan, I'm curious, when did you first become a fan of pro wrestling? As early as I even could have a memory or a conscious thought, I have an older brother and sister. Uh, they're much older. My sister's nine years older than me. My brother's 13. So they grew up in the eighties, like pretty strict eighties kids. And me, I'm uh I was born in 87, so I kind of came at the tail end of that and picked up on, like, the WWF stuff that they used to watch all the time when I was a kid. My mom would, like, you know, get them the pay-per-views. They'd watch it on TV. And I guess I liked it, so um, they started buying me the toys and all that. So I've always loved pro wrestling growing up as a kid. I really started to love it even more as I got older and older and older. But by the time, like, I was in – Obviously, like the fifth grade, fourth and fifth grade, junior high school, I was just completely obsessed, and it never really stopped. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I think that's how it always starts. You just kind of start as a kid, and you just get sucked in more and more, and then... Sucked in's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, speaking of you getting sucked in, I mean, when did you decide to kind of become a wrestler, obviously? You know, wrestling was a big like influence, but you know, what kind of gave you the itch to do that? Well, I always wanted to do it. I'm like one of those typical stories where, you know, if you ever go back and ask me or look in like my school yearbooks of what I wanted to be when I grew up, I always wanted to be a pro wrestler. But I uh definitely knew for sure, like, and I was like so fired up to do it and was not taking no for an answer it was when I really got into like ECW and junior high school and, mm. and Dam and Sabu and all that and I and I was following that while it was while it was happening and it, I you know and then the indies in like 2001 and two and I that by that point I already knew like I need to find training I was so serious about it already by the time I was already only like 15 so I'd say ECW made me really want to do it for real like Rob Van Dam was a huge uh influence on me and made me want to like really like say there's no way I can't do this I want to do it you know so how, yeah. how how's that experience? So you, you grew up watching WWF and you, you find ECW like did you just kind of like your whole perspective on wrestling just change and you kind of just drift away from WWF? Yeah, I was going to say, too, like, did your parents even, like, let you watch that stuff? (laughs) My parents were awesome. My parents um, did not supervise anything I watched at all, to be honest. Like I said, I have an older brother and sister, and uh, I kind of came at the end, and they weren't really so much worried about that stuff. Um, They – so – my it was, it was like you know my mom actually supported my wrestling obsession my old childhood because my thing would be um you know i'd ask my mom to rent me video i had a video store right up the street from where i grew up a nice big video store called palmer video and um i would rent video wrestling videotapes constantly i'd ask my mom because you'd go to the shopping little shopping center all the time because there, there's like a you know a little a little uh, superette grocery store and a deli and you know a bagel place and pizzeria like neighborhood like place and i'd be like mom can i go rent a movie or rent a, a wrestling game or game or a wrestling tape and she she always said yes so i mean i can't tell you how many times i've i've watched uh, the 1992 royal rumble right things like that <laughs> nice. um but yeah that i my parents weren't really so much supervising and it wasn't like i really 
asked permission anyways. I, I, the first time I ever actually saw ECW, see, I heard about it from a kid in my class. It was in the fourth grade. This kid, uh, David Diaz, he told me about this wrestling company because I was the big wrestling fan in, in school, right? I always had the wrestling video games and trading them with other kids. What game do you have? Or talking about, you know, wrestling all the time, bringing in the magazine and just obsessed. And he was like, there's this wrestling show. It's on late at night on TV. I don't know what channel yeah. it's on, but it's called ECW. <laughs> and there's this guy named Tommy Dreamer. There's a guy named Taz. There's a guy named Sabu. There's Jean-Claude Van Damme's brother. <laughs> and I was just like, this kid's got to be lying to me. He's lying. I was only like nine or t- years old. It was like the fourth grade. But one night, sometime, I guess, in this period of, of time of my life, my brother was in my room playing a resident evil because we had a playstation but it was in my room so my brother was in my room playing resident evil and it was late at night so i was just like well let me go look on another tv and, and switch through the channels and i found ecw that night and um i guess yeah like my perspective of wrestling definitely changed um but my perspective of wrestling, definitely ECW like blew me away because ECW was responsible for so many things that would influence me so heavily in my life, whether it was music, pro wrestling, or just, you know, anything uh, of that nature because it was accessible through, through ECW, through a wrestling uh a wrestling company like coming through the uh, the funnel of something i'm already familiar with now i'm being exposed to bands like metallica or pantera and alice in chains and and things like that that would be so influential on me as i grew up as like a young adolescent male so ecw was huge but what really took it over the edge for me was starting to find the uh the Japanese stuff and kind of taking to the Japanese wrestlers uh, more so that were in ECW or WCW and WWF. Uh, I was very interested because I did karate growing up as a kid. I was all, it was, that was my main, uh, I guess, sport or, you know, I was, I was put into karate and I did karate and I was already kind of attracted to that, uh, the Japanese culture in a way. Mm. Sure. So I guess I really ate that stuff up. And then I found indie wrestling kind of like after ECW went out of business. I I started linking up with other kids that were backyard wrestlers that we were getting together to like wrestle together in the park or whatever. Friend through meeting friends through friends that were all into wrestling. I started going to indie shows like Jersey All Pro Wrestling at the time ucw which was, was um you know and seeing all those first uh that first wave of like what the popular indie stuff was like low-key and homicide xavier amazing red the hit squad the sats the boogie nights the this the that all that stuff and uh i that's when i was like oh shit and i started to discover the vhs tapes and the, the the accessibility to them at the shows, like the vendors and this and that, and then realizing, like, right. okay, I could watch this stuff. And it was just all like, you know, now now it's just, you know, nowadays you could go and find it all 
in like one day, right? You, right, could, you yeah. could read about all this in like one day, but back then it was, it was like, you got a little breadcrumb, then you got a little breadcrumb, then you got some more breadcrumbs. <laughs> you, 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 had to, you had to really do the work and figure it out for yourself. And the internet was there, and, but it was in such an its infancy that even coming across this information was difficult to, uh, to follow sometimes. It was so right. much too much, you know? You could only sit, I only used to sit at the computer for so many hours, but- I was obsessed and I started, I started uh, making friends with the tape traders, you know, obviously RF video was a big one, but George Mayfield, this, this gentleman, he used to sell uh, VHS tapes and DVDs. He used to go to Japan himself and, you know, get a lot of the footage and bring it back here, get merch from Japan and bring it back here. He taught me a lot about like Japanese wrestling and things that I was interested in based on like, what I liked. He'd be like, well, what do you like? What do you want to see? And he'd point me in the direction of like a certain tape or a certain wrestler or a certain company. And uh, that's how I got so deeply into like all Japan pro wrestling and all that stuff. And like the four pillars type type shit. And uh, also there was, there was a, in the mall by my house, there was an RF video kiosk stand and monster Mac from the wow. hit squad, the tag team used to work at the stand, I guess, like on the side or whatever. And I used to go and like pick his brain about like what Japanese wrestling he liked. And it just all kind of manifested, you know? Wow. Yeah. So yeah. like we said earlier, just getting sucked in, you, you see ECW, you get exposed to indies, you get exposed to <clears throat> the pure resu. You just, you're, you're, you know, your horizons expands getting into the world of wrestling. So you're, yeah. you're getting hyped up. You're seeing all this wrestling. So where did you start training? So you, you, you love wrestling. You say you, you, you want to do it. Where did you end up uh, starting your training? Well, I first started training when I was a young kid. I was like 15 years old. I, it was Jersey All Pro Wrestling. Had a wrestling school in Bayo, New Jersey. Now, where I'm from, I live in Staten Island. We're technically surrounded by Jersey on the left, Jersey up top, and then Brooklyn on the right. So, you know, Bayonne's only like a 10 or 15 minute drive, and they had shows in the built in this building there in Bayonne, and they had the school in the same building. So I knew a kid that I, you know, was wrestling with in the park on Sundays who would his mom would take him to go there to go to training. And I'd be like, Fuck, I want to go, I want to go. Can I come with you? Because <laughs> my, my parents were not the type of parents that were like, Hey mom, look, this is the, the wild Samoan pro wrestling training Academy. If you just give me $3,000, I could move to Allentown. Like I'm like a 15 year old kid. It's, it's right. not, this is not happening. My nobody's ever paying for wrestling school. It's just, this is a crazy idea. So I needed to go to a place where I could pay a few bucks at a time. And, you know, luckily I had a background in martial arts and falling and stuff like that. Cause I'd done judo. I, I've sure. trained in all these different types of martial arts and, I picked up the fundamental training part of it pretty quickly, even when I was only like 15 years old. So I started training then and I continued training and working uh, very small, like local shows in, in New Jersey during that time for about like a year and a half or so two two years when I was in high school, I would, I would wrestle under a hood under like a, a different name or I'd use my backyard wrestling name sometimes without it, or just was in a tag team and just, Basically hoping I didn't mess anything up, not really knowing what I was doing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then uh, that was pretty much the first, like, my first entrance into pro wrestling was that first, like, two-year time there. It was about 2003 to 2004, or 2002 to 2004. Nice. We're going to switch gears into the, some more New Japan-type stuff, but before we do that, last question, 
when and how did you start uh, or like when did you get your like first big break, would you say, in the business? It's kind of like for me, it works in like periods and different moments of like where I got a break. Like, you know, I got back into I took a couple years off there and I got. Yeah, I remember in like 2007, like after my grandfather passed away, 2007, eight, around 2008. Jersey All Pro Wrestling, I was lucky. They were they were pretty huge indie. Um, and I had a history with them, and my trainer was was still had a history with them. And basically, the guy who ran that company gave me a, a break there before I really had any business being on those shows. So I'd say like that was a break. Uh, us starting Beyond Wrestling, and that got me those matches that I first did at Beyond Wrestling in like 2009. I'm pretty sure those got me booked at Evolve originally the first time that was it that was i'd say a break um gcw man i mean beyond wrestling is as as the being a part of the growth of beyond wrestling was was i've always considered that to be really special um i've gotten breaks and then i've gotten like kind of like screwed you know like setbacks and stuff oh yeah a couple of those man that were like what, why, how, just at, completely out of my control. Like I debuted at PWG and I absolutely killed it. And uh, he asked me to go back for two shows. He tried to book me for two shows after. And uh, I had a tour planned, that was, which was a break to go to UK for the first time, a big tour. I was at 18 dates. The money was pretty good considering like what I was doing at the time. And uh, the, the shows were all booked. Like I was, you know, committed to go and wrestle for this guy. And then all these other companies that this guy had reached out to and gotten book bookings for. And I got to go do this. It's, you know, the plane tickets are bought. Like, right. Yeah. PWG booking kind of happened like a little bit last minute, but he wanted to book me afterwards because uh, me and Brian had a really good match. And um, Brian Cage. He just never, I said I couldn't do it, you know, but can we get back to it when I come home, whatever? Yeah, absolutely. And then Super Dragon just kind of ghosted me and never, never brought me back, which just kind of like a, everyone says is a typical story. Or like, you know, I got a break. I debuted for Ring of Honor in 2000 and right at the beginning of 2015. It was the day before the Super Bowl when the Pats played the Seahawks. And uh, because of like the Kimberly video, they just never. Some guy in the office went absolutely batshit crazy, <laughs> and, uh, and I and I was and I never got booked again. So like little things like that. Um, a huge break, man. Just being a part of the ascension of GCW, absolutely big time. Um, going to Japan the first time, incredible. Yeah, just really, really good stuff uh, to come out of that. Um, I would like really special matches to me were like breaks like wrestling Masato Tanaka was a break for me because that helped me inevitably get booked in Japan for zero one pro wrestling formal relationship with, you know, a guy that is the wrestled in the first Japanese wrestling match on a videotape I ever watched. You know, it's a yeah. so, um, pretty wild, you know, things like of that nature. It's just, uh, I would say, obviously, the biggest break of my career, thus, especially considering the way it came and the time it came, and this was, you know, getting uh, hooked up to work for New Japan for sure. Yeah, nice. so, so I'm glad you mentioned that. So, yeah, how did the, the, the connection with New Japan happen? How'd you get there? 
Well, you got to think about it. Um, I went to Japan the first time. GCW, GCW is pretty instrumental in a lot of this. Um, I went to Japan the first time and it was incredible. I had no idea GCW was was that over in Japan or was that over in the world, period. Like, yeah. I did, I, I, you know, they say don't go into certain things with high expectations, you, you, you'll be let down. Well, this my trip to Japan in uh, February of 2020 completely far exceeded any expectation I ever had. And we're talking about this was my life goal. So my expectations were certainly lofty, right? Um, <laughs> It was just the the response was incredible. It was like they they already all knew who I was, and I was given such a great match right off the bat against Yuji Okabayashi, and uh, we absolutely just had a had a war. Um, it was like the, the there's there's no better way to make a great first impression, right? You only get one chance, so I wanted to make sure I I made a great first impression. And since that night, it was just. Dude, I sold so much merchandise. If it wasn't for the Japanese tour in 2020 there before the pandemic, I would have been screwed financially. Um, So I did really, really well with money, you know, whether it was uh, my paydays, my merchandise, um, the response from the audience was unbelievable. The meet and greets, meeting the fans, just really, it was such a positive experience seeing grown people you know, literally on the verge of tears. I could, it's a literal, literal true story. There was a grown, two grown women who came to me with these cookies. They gave me these cookies as a present. This one woman was literally crying tears. And I was like, I am nobody. I do not understand why you're taking this, why you think meeting me is, is that serious? I mean, I gave a free t-shirt to a guy who bought uh, a different piece of merchandise every night at the end of like the tour. And he was like literally on his knees, thanking me up and down. These people are so respectful and they're so um, they're just so kind and they're they're really appreciative. It's it's a complete opposite of like a majority of the fans here, unfortunately, or at least I should say a a group of a certain group of the fans here who are literally waiting on bated breath to to destroy your life at any chance based on some sort of mistake you make in their eyes. And Japan, people are just people were just really really appreciative of you and uh i remember at this time in wrestlemania weekend was already kind of uh taking shape i was already booked to wrestle shingo i was going to wrestle uh, minoru suzuki and i remember like after that tour towards the end of it i was i went to like the new japan store and i and i remember being at this fan meet and greet thing after i wrestled that uh i did a show i i, I wrestled for this Indy called Dove Pro, and me and Alex Cologne had to make it back to this fan meeting. We went to the fan meeting, and it was like the people like swarmed us. It was like we were the fucking Beatles. We got there late. <laughs> I mean, I I'm not I'm not embellishing or or trying to make it sound like it bigger than it was. It was so silly to me because I, <laughs> you know, I, I just we were really treated like we were superstars, and I remember drinking a beer or whatever and in this this bar this like room with all these fans in it and on the tv was new japan it was playing and i was thinking to myself like damn if these people like like me now i could only imagine how the hell they'd feel if i was doing that so i uh went to a gold's gym um 
kind of like near uh, Tokyo Dome City over there because I saw it popped up on the map or whatever of where a gym was. And I was like, I'll go to that one, whatever. So I went to the gym and I got recognized by uh, Robbie Eagles. And I started talking to him and he, he's a New Japan guy. Yeah. And then I saw Kenta, who I had met previously uh, at NXT one time. And he speaks actually fluent English. So I started chatting it up with him. And then the next thing you know, I... Uh, I saw El Fantasmo. I met El Fantasmo, and he was really, really cool. And he introduced me to Gato. And then I saw Jay White, and I saw maybe Hanma. There was just a, I was a lot of New Japan guys. Hanare was there. And Hanare actually um, was on an excursion in 2016 at that wrestling school of the company I went to England for. So I, huh. I would train a class, do like a training class once or twice a week for this company and he was one of the students there like on excursion so i knew him and i started talking to him about new japan and he was telling me how awesome it was there was like a good camaraderie there with all those guys i thought they were all down to earth and really cool and i was like man this looks awesome it just looks awesome that they're they're all working for new japan and i love new japan so i was like all right um I got this match with Suzuki. I got this match with Shingo. They're like two of the biggest stars. I mean, Minoru Suzuki is and Sh- and Shingo both are like veterans. There's just these guys are huge names, right? I was like, sure. There's no reason why I why I can't be in New Japan. There's no reason why I shouldn't feel confident enough to know that I could I could do it. And and uh, I I at that point I had reached out to them and started talking a little bit. Um, and then from there the. I actually, they were going to do a show in Tampa. They yeah. were. There was like one of those shows that they were going to do. We were there. Yeah, they were. Gonna, I was good. They were going to do the talk about the Mania weekend one. They were going to do. Yeah, there was going to be one in Tampa. Oh, that's and, right. Uh, I was going to go. And I was going to go and just you know, hang out, introduce myself, and you know whatever. So it was kind of like maybe just talking or whatever at that point. Sure. And then the pandemic happened. And then they started New Japan Strong, and then I didn't start with Strong till November, but I still like you know, still I still got got asked to go, which was which was huge for me because I spent, God, like most of that that year while they were doing Strong, I was like watch, I, I was watching, I watch everything anyways from New Japan usually, but I was like, man, I really, really, really want to do this show, I really want to want to be like a part of this because this is it like what else is going on this is at least it's something and you know a couple months went by and then eventually it was like i, I used to say man this is like uh i need a miracle here oh, hopefully this is it and man, <laughs> it, it happened so it's it's not not something i take for granted at all because it, it came at a time when there was no telling what was going to happen there's no guarantees with the indies you know thank god for gcw continuing on and still producing good stuff and trying to really just stay stay up there and do their thing regardless of whatever anybody thinks about it um but i was like man i really need something needs to happen here and god it was it was one of those things where i felt like maybe i it willed itself into existence because i i just wanted to stay i stayed sharp the whole time i stayed training i stayed focusing on just being in great shape and all that so um that was probably at this point like the biggest break of my of my career also i mean getting getting linked up with um 
you know, with GCW, going back to GCW, just working and with uh, Josh Barnett, um, yeah, and then training with Josh. You want to talk about a break? I mean, that's a different different kind of a of a of a break, but it's like that opens so many doors um, for me to improve as a pro wrestler, for me to improve as an athlete, for me to improve as a based off of like my close friendship with Josh. Just as a shooter <laughs> yeah as a shooter but as a person i've learned so much from from josh as, a, as just a dude um he's just a really good guy i consider him literally to be like an older brother and wow. um so with that came like you know all the stuff we've been doing with blood sport and i wrestled john moxley and you know it's not it's not a complete accident that it happened you know so I think uh, wrestling John Moxley, you know, inevitably we teamed up. We wrestled Nagata not too long ago. And just all these little things that are just kind of like happening, these good little pieces of good fortune to come out of all of the darkness that kind of was a lot of uh, that 2020 time period. And I think a lot of it came from just just trying to like block a lot of the the bullshit out that was going on in the world. And I know it was really hard because there was a ton. I'm just trying to stay positive and stay focused on myself and what I have to do in order to still continue to support myself with professional wrestling, because that was my biggest, my biggest gripe with everything was I worked so hard to get into this position for such a long time where at the very least I haven't had to work for of the last few years, about three years, four years or so I haven't had to work. I, I just support myself off of pro wrestling, but now I, I was actually flourishing, you know, and, yeah. and, and you, yeah, you can make money doing it and you can support yourself just pretty nicely off of independent wrestling. And it was going well for me. And then boom, like, is this it? Am I just going to have to go back to get like a, some sort of a job? You know, I, I already exercised my plan B, got to the gates of all. I almost became a fireman in the in Massachusetts in the city where I was living. I, I exercised my plan B and failed. <laughs> it was, I was all in on pro wrestling at this point. You know what I mean? And yeah. I was okay with it. I, re, wow. I fell in, re-fell in love with it more than I ever have before. Um, I was not ready to let go. I was not ready to just give up. So... Like I said, thank you so much to New Japan Pro Wrestling for pretty much, I'd say, they were played such a big head. There's a lot of people that, that are involved here and that helped uh, give me a big, get me that break or give me that chance or give me that, give me that big shot this last year. But New Japan Pro Wrestling definitely was a, a huge part of it for sure. Yeah, we, when we had been watching you previously, you know, um, there's a lot of talent out there, but we'd seen you and we just were always like, man, when's uh, when are one of these bigger companies going to, you know, find out about Chris Dickinson or pick him up, you know, when's that happening? So when we saw you come out, like for that first strong, we we're like, holy fuck. <laughs> but um, a couple of things with that, you know, you came out and there was the obvious, you know, um, homages to Takata and to Terry Gordy. And you talked about you cut a promo post match about the cerulean blue mat, what that meant to you. You know, talk about you know just all that stuff. You know, what that debut meant for you. You know, what it meant to work for New Japan. Maybe even what the future holds. You know, what your kind of aspirations are for you know down the road with New Japan beyond strong. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, I had a conversation one time with Jonathan Gresham years ago, actually in my car, we were sitting in my car and uh, 
It was like, man, if you want to work for a company, you know, you should know everything about that company. You should learn, know their history. You should know everybody who works on the roster. You should know everybody who's what's going on. You should know the top, you know, the past, the present and all that. And obviously I know a lot about New Japan Pro Wrestling already. But when I made it like my goal and I made it like my my main uh you know, number one thing on my list that I had to do was to work for New Japan Pro Wrestling because I, I, I don't, I look at, um, you know, a lot of people, they don't, they won't say this stuff or they won't be as transparent because they'll think it'll hurt them. But I never had any desire to work for the WWE um, or that wasn't like my goal or my dream, right? My, my, my main goal, my life goal was to wrestle in Japan. Um, to what capacity? Like I didn't have my mind made up yet. I didn't, you know, I just wanted to wrestle in Japan. Um, I was a huge uh, fan of it growing up from ages about 13, 14 on. Um, obviously I know a lot about new Japan pro wrestling because I mean, how could you not really? It's, it's kind of like when I first got into Japanese wrestling, it was the first things you you gravitate towards the most basic stuff are the well what's the best of chris benoit in japan best of eddie guerrero in japan yeah yeah uh Jushin liger uh the great muda uh masachono uh you know antonio inoki vader uh new japan you're gonna you're gonna watch new japan it's just a matter of you know it's not even a question but I knew that in myself, there was a lot about certain things about it that I didn't particularly uh, know yet or, or, or I wasn't too familiar with, like a lot of the formative things about the company or maybe more of like the stuff on, on um, you know, I'm talking about like what the idea of New Japan Pro Wrestling really was based on in its earliest days of from when the dojo started, what Antonio Inoki was really trying to accomplish with his wrestlers, the, the, the hiring of Carl Gotch to train the wrestlers and why he had them. He had him come in and train those guys and catch wrestling and how they were all trained that certain way. And what's the UWF? Why did the UWF start? Who are these? You know what I mean? Yeah. I had to learn more about like eighties, new Japan pro wrestling that I didn't really know that much about yet. And that's where kind of like the roots and the core of all of my style, my style evolved into more. So uh, really lie is that, or that era there of the, the guys who were all trained by gotch, um, you know, and the guys who went on to form the UWF and, you know, cross over and wrestle for the UWF and then start the UWFI and then go back to new Japan. And just, I needed to really sharpen myself up on all that. And I was lucky enough that I ended up, is just by chance becoming friends with Josh Barnett, who is was recruited to New Japan Pro Wrestling to wrestle in the main event at the Tokyo Dome for the IWGP right. title in his first match. Yeah. His yeah. first match by Antonio Inoki himself. So we have so now it's like not only am I kind of doing this research on my own or trying to go back and learn about all this wrestling maybe that I'd never watched before, but I'm also training pretty much the same way that they trained in the dojo and back in the day by a guy who's who's basically one degree of separation between a Carl Gotch and Antonio Inoki or a a Billy Robinson or a Miyato-san all the guys who are carrying on that who carried on the catch wrestling um, legacy which pretty much has so it's so rooted in New Japan pro wrestling this you know New Japan pro pro wrestling is is 
it was built on that stuff. And right. all of those guys who went on to then train those next guys. And then those guys who went on to train those next guys. And you still see it today. They have the best training uh, system in all of professional wrestling far and away. The way that they recruit talent the way that they train talent, the development of the talent. I mean, I've, I'm seeing, I see it firsthand in LA with Shibata. I mean, Shibata, I'd say, I put him up there and say he's probably the best pro wrestling trainer in the world. Wow. Judge, just judging by the fact of you see these guys that start there and then in such a short period of time, I mean, and, and the, you know, these guys are, the improvement is tremendous. And I'm talking like 180, like, and I'm talking not that long. I'm talking a few yeah. months, you're seeing yeah. how much different these guys are just from training with this guy and training in that system. And then being around the other guys who have been in that system and the camaraderie and the respect for professional wrestling, the respect for the business, the respect for what they're doing and the respect for their company and representing their company. It all means so much. And then on the other side of the coin, you have a place like the WWE, where it's, I personally believe, and I, and I say this enough, where it's like, you know, I should, I'll probably get shit for it, but I'll say it. There's some sort of flaw in the system, in the training system, or the hiring and the training and the develop system, developmental system there, because you got a company that hires athletes that are like the top of the, the line in every sport, yeah, yeah. you know, from every background and every area and everything these these people who are like superhuman and uh you know some of them have they 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 can't get them they can't prepare them well enough to 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 do the do the job basically or to to be pro wrestlers or to have matches in in the in a in a certain period of time and that's not saying everybody and everybody's different everybody has their own thing but i'm just saying that new japan pro wrestling um Obviously, it's a lot different than it was in, 19, in the 1970s or 80s, but the training is still uh, very, very much legitimate and very efficient in preparing uh, guys to be, in my opinion, the best fundamentally sound pro wrestlers on the planet. So when you're doing all this research and you're then you're, you're training um, and catch wrestling and you're 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 training kind of like, do, like dojo style, like all my training now. Uh, my even my weight training or my my own workouts at all very much is very very almost like a dojo style and then on top of getting involved with the company working with guys that are trained by the company um, seeing how things operate how much more careful um, they are about things how much more respect goes into you know things how much more protected things are and all that it's just it's so refreshing and it's 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 like wow this is i finally feel like maybe i belong somewhere whereas uh you know a lot of times with pro wrestling my biggest problem was like i say i never really dreamt of had these big dreams of becoming a big tv star wwf wrestler guy i just because it because i always just want to be involved with something that um I, i that i could say i'm a fan of yeah, that I could, that I genuinely like, that I genuinely support. You know what I mean? And especially now, in a time in pro wrestling where you know I kind of feel like we have to, the people like me or the the other individuals who feel the same way I do, we have to stick together, and we have we, we it's it's up to us to take pro wrestling into the future, not sports entertainment, professional wrestling into the future, and to preserve it and make sure that it can continue. You know. Definitely. And I feel New Japan Pro Wrestling, the reason why I 
I, they were, it was my main goal to, to get there. And, and my, it's my main goal to continue to be there is because they are a global company that has uh, obviously a, you know, a huge, huge following and they're still promoting a professional wrestling product. You know, it's still a very good all around professional wrestling product. What you can't say that about uh, some of the other global companies, I guess. Yeah. You know, we, we've been both of us been watching wrestling since the time we were kids and, you know, growing up, obviously WWE is kind of the biggest promotion out there. But you know, once we started getting into New Japan, and we, we could keep seeing these, you know, bad shows and screwy finishes, like why are we watching this? Like, why don't we talk about New Japan, become more bigger New Japan fans? And so, you know, we we love that in ring action, that professional wrestling, like you mentioned. Um, now, and you've been on New Japan Strong now for uh, quite some time. And in your time there, do you have a, a favorite match that kind of stands out so far? Hmm. That match I just had with Nagata and Moxley and Ren was pretty surreal. Um, that was pretty awesome. I had a match with Rocky Romero, which was kind of like uh, Rocky's kind of like the uh, the gatekeeper. You know what I mean? He's uh, he's, right. he's gonna see for himself what's going on with um, maybe somebody new that's coming in in the door, and because he's uh, he's the man, and he's a He's going to see for himself. It's another reason why I, I love strong and why I, I, you know, my new Japan's great because there's wrestlers uh, running the wrestling stuff, doing the right, you know, running, running, running the shit. Yeah. It's pro wrestlers here that are, you know, I'm not just talking about just anybody. We're talking about like really well accomplished, decorated, um, well versed, well trained, uh, multiple backgrounds and different styles, and traveled the world. And you know, these are the. This is somebody that you have to impress. This is somebody that's gonna 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 make that decision whether or not you know you maybe you're gonna be there or not. Uh, whereas it's instead of it being some mark somewhere running like an indie promotion who has no clue like who's never <laughs> taken one bump or you know wrestled before period so right. it's just, like i said it's just the uh things are just a little bit more a lot, a lot a bit more protected if you know you know what i'm talking about yeah. so yeah well, that, match, that match with rocky was really really special for me also because i always wanted to wrestle rocky but um man i've had some i've had some really good ones there I had a uh, Blake Christian's last match, pretty much before he went to WWE. Oh yeah, that was cool. That was a fun one. Um, man, the first match I did, I believe it was a, I believe it was a tag match. That one was definitely like, you know, I, I was up, I was just, I was so up, I was so jacked up after that. I'll never forget, like cutting that promo in the back with the, the backdrop. I dreamt of doing that for so long and you know, <laughs> couldn't, you, would, you couldn't have told me that there was nobody out there. It might, I, it may as well have been, uh, you know, the Tokyo Dome or Madison square garden. I was just so happy that, um, that I was there and that I got to wrestle in that, in that ring. Because like I said, last year was pretty scary. We really did not know what was going to happen. In my, I'm telling you from my own experiences, I had no guarantees. I had no, 
real idea what the hell was going to happen. So to, to just open my eyes and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm on the cerulean blue mat. You know, it's pretty, <laughs> pretty surreal, man. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I know it might not be your favorite because you didn't pick up the W, but for my money, it's the best. We've been watching Strong since it dropped, and the best, at least one of the top best uh, Strong matches was you and Narita. That match oh. just fucking kicked ass. <laughs> yeah, very hard hitting, very intense. Love that match. We um, Ren, but, but we he's a bad Ren, Ren is a Ren is a oh I will I I was gonna get my hands around Ren. <laughs> no, no, I, I Ren, yeah, Ren's tough, man. Ren is tough. He's 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 got to uh, he's got to prove himself to 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 Shibata San. He's got a lot to prove. So he's uh, he may not look like much. Some, you know what I mean? He's kind of a. Uh, Kind of, kind of, kind of like a little on the skinny side, but man, he is tough. It was like that Joe Jackson, Michael Jackson thing. Like he's got to go out there and perform, or his dad's gonna beat him. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally. <laughs> yeah, but no, we're... you're right. You're right about that. Um, he's only like a kid. He's like, God, yeah, he's more than twenty three, maybe. Um, he started. He he was. I think he was the youngest to ever be uh, admitted to the Nogi Dojo, if I recall, like eighteen. Yeah. So yeah, he's he, young. He, got, he, he was a shoot uh, amateur too. He has yeah. some sort of decorated amateur background. I remember I shot like a lazy uh, single leg takedown or something on him, and he just like pulled it back real quick. And I was <laughs> like, oh no! I was like, he knows what he's doing. Like, okay. <laughs> He's cool, but yeah. Yeah, Ren. A lot of people like that match. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, we've got, you know, honestly, we've got a ton more questions, but we're bumping up on the 45 I know, minutes. I know. I, I'm so, a good, listen, I don't, I don't need, mean to pat myself on the back. I know I'm a good interview, so uh, no, I, you, I know I talk a lot. No, you make it easy for us, but, uh, you know, we yeah. want to get you out of here. So, you know, last question, what would it mean winning the strong openweight title? And do you have any final words for one filthy Tom Lawler? Um, what would it mean? I mean, to hold a new Japan championship. I mean, just the fact that I feel like we've uh, accomplished so much with strong and the, the camaraderie and the nucleus of the roster and the locker room at this period of time, the way it's grown and considering we haven't, we haven't even wrestled in Japan. I mean, I haven't wrestled in Japan since February of 2020 and it wasn't for new Japan pro wrestling. Just considering all these factors involved, I think it's tremendous. And it's amazing that to say I'm even competing for a new Japan pro wrestling title. Um, it's, it's, it's unbelievable to, to become champion. Yeah. I mean, this is the, this is what we're in it for. This is why we're professional wrestlers. I, I have a, I kind of sound like a broken record. I, I say it all the time because it's true. Uh, I feel like New Japan Pro Wrestling is the most competitive environment in professional wrestling for, you know, a variety of reasons. Uh, but if you don't want to be a champion, if you don't want to be a top guy, if you don't want to be, you know, competing for titles in the tournaments, in the in the leagues or whatever, then, then maybe it's, it's not for you because I feel like uh, everybody there is hungry and, and that's the way it should be. And yeah, I, it would be unbelievable to be crowned a champion. Um, I think it's, I think for Tom, it's fantastic. He's an accomplished athlete. He has a great background. 
and he's a great pro wrestler. But I mean, I'm I'm not gonna lie, just like I have before, it's only gonna be even worse for him now because it's in New Japan, you know, and I have so much more to prove. I'm gonna I'm gonna whoop his ass. It's really yeah. what I'm gonna <laughs> whoop his ass and there's all the little bullshit games he's been playing too with his his lackeys and this and that and you know you got that little runt limelight (laughs) uh, you know he tapped me in the balls and he's got his big goon kratos in there you know i I don't particularly agree with the way that they do things was it's why it inevitably didn't work out with team filthy um i'm a little bit more of a sportsman myself but when it comes down to it, like I don't give a damn about Tom Lawler and what black if he has a black belt in jujitsu or if he was how many times he fought in the UFC. You know, we, we could play real dirty when it, in professional wrestling. I don't know if you guys notice. There's a lot of things you can get away with that you can't get away with in places like that. And I got stuff to fix the Tom Lawlers. I've had stuff to fix the the Matt Riddles. I've had dude, look what I did to Dan Severn. I mean, it's mm. just it is what it is, man. It, you know, I'm not I'm not afraid of Tom Lawler. I'm very much looking forward to our match, and um, I'm going to do my best to walk away with the title. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that match coming up here a couple weeks on New Japan Strong. That's going to be a main event everybody needs to pay attention to. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for, again, for joining us here tonight and talking about your career and your love for New Japan, the thing that we all love. Uh, Before you go, um, plug your stuff. Tell our listeners where they can follow you on social and what shows you have coming up. I've got a lot uh, coming up, actually. Thank God. Thankfully, thank, thank something. Thank, thank life. Thank the, you know, things are turning <laughs> around. The world is coming back, baby. It yeah. seems like things are going in the positive direction and they're not turning back around. Hopefully. Cause you never know what's going to happen, but um, you could follow me on Twitter. It's at dirty Dickinson. I'm on Instagram at born dirty, died dirty. Those are my two most, uh, I, those are the only real two social media platforms. I, I use most of Instagram. I have a lot more fun on there. Um, uh, coming up, I've got uh, we got a lot coming up, man. I got uh, there's a bunch of GCW shows. They're gonna be there's GCW dates all the way into the fall. I don't know if I'll take them all. If I'll be on them all. Um, Beyond Wrestling, uh, fall Beyond Wrestling's uh, get, gotten back on the horse. I'm gonna be working with them um, more. Obviously, I've been working with them forever, but uh, GCW. And beyond, they're 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 both getting back on the horse. GCW never really came off the horse. They've been running pretty hard. No, <laughs> yeah, they've, they've been going strong. <laughs> yeah, thank thankfully. Um, Ring of Honor, uh, that is something that I definitely will say. If you are not following Ring of Honor, it's a very accessible product. It's on television in a lot of markets. You can watch it online. I uh, didn't follow Ring of Honor for the last few years, really, and uh, I've certainly started once I knew I was going to be there. And I started working for them. It's it's really it's something. It's it's a really good product, and I uh, there's a really great roster, great group of guys there. So there's a lot of matches that could happen that are like blow away. Um, I love working there. I love everything I've been doing there so far. I would definitely say check out everything Ring of Honor's got going on. Um, the pay per view, and uh, I think it's the beginning of July or the end of June. There is yeah, going to the, be the, uh, the first, best in the world pay per view. Best in the world is right. It's going to be the first show Ring of Honor's run in front of fans in almost like a year and a half. Um, I know that there's there. I'm going to. I'm not going to you know divulge too much, but there's there's other dates that are going to be you know rolling out soon. There's some different places for Ring of Honor. Um, definitely 
just check that out. And um, I would, I would definitely recommend it because some of the guys there are unbelievable. I mean, some of them, some of the talent that they have there and uh, the product itself, the production, some of the people they got working back, back there uh, producing that stuff. They got this one guy, man, he is unbelievable. I, they visually, I feel like their product is like second to none. I mean, when I first went to the film uh, with RH at the, this arena where they do it, and I saw like you know, even though there's no fans and just the, the elaborate setup, the production, the quality of everything, I was I was blown away. So I would I would say if you haven't been following Ring of Honor, get back up on that because they got they're really doing some some good stuff, and uh, you know just support any indie wrestling you can. I mean, I just did a show, and it sounds crazy. I was just in Indiana. I did IWA Mid South. Still rocking it, man. Places yeah, like that crazy. Still, do, still doing it, you know, and giving me good matches and taking care of me and just, you know, do your best to support to support uh, us independent contractors out there and us freelancers because, uh, you know, we, we're hustling for the money, man. It's, uh, it's it, it ain't easy, but but it's 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 the it's it's fun. You know what I mean? I love yeah. it. So. Nice. Well, it's been an honor. Yeah, thanks so much, Chris. Thank you. Nah, no problem, man. Nice talking to you guys. All right, and we are back from the Chris Dickinson interview. Man, uh, it was a great time um, talking with Chris and talking about his his love for New Japan and how he got into wrestling. Uh, great conversation. Yeah, if you've been listening to this show for any length of time, you know that we have been big fans of Chris Dickinson for a while now and uh, really, really cool, kind of surreal to, you know, to talk to him and, you know, kind of get his perspective. That was easily one of the, like, um, I don't know, like least involved we've ever, ever had to be with an interview because like, you know, he was able to just kind of articulate and tell us, you know, so much about himself. There's a lot of questions that we wanted to get to, that we didn't necessarily have time, but it didn't matter because he like touched on them anyways. So like, I was like, man, that was like a great interview, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was just like, we was through the ball and he just like ran with it. So yeah, it was great, great interviews. Um, hope you guys enjoyed that. You know, like we mentioned hopefully in the future, we can do some more interviews with some guys involved in new Japan strong, but yeah, looking forward to, we're, we're always able to, it's just like, we just don't, you know get around to doing it (laughs) (laughs) but uh if there was anyone on strong like out of the whole roster i wanted to talk to like it's the dirty daddy and like man talk about a guy that was intense yeah you know from the get-go but but not like in a negative way you know so i'm not like trying to like paint a, a bad picture but like dude like he's just like zeroed in like honed in on wrestling and like he's like passionate about it and it's like oh shit like you know I bet if I was in a room, I'd be intimidated with him. <laughs> <laughs> right. And man, might stretch me or some shit, you know? <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, definitely a cool dude. Looking forward to his success. And, you know, he's a guy that we've seen for years now on the independent scene. We've seen him here in Tampa and Evolve. Uh, him and Jaka, we've seen him several times uh, with the Evolve Tag Team titles. Uh, we've seen him on Bloodsport, Mania Weekend, GCW shows, um, you know, WrestleCon stuff, you know, throughout the Mania Weekends. And we saw him this past Mania Weekend at Bloodsport and Violence and Suffering show uh, here in Ebor. So, yeah, it's great talking to him and just looking forward to all the great stuff he's going to be doing in New Japan. Yeah, and uh, 
I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm very excited for this title match coming up. So, uh, but we've got a lot to kind of get into here um, and dive into. And, you know, it's, it's another week. It's another keeping a strong style, boys, ladies, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So uh, first thing we got to talk about uh, the, the news that New Japan is coming back into action here. So this comes from NJPW1972.com. They say after the cancellation or postponement of five events in May, New Japan Pro Wrestling can now announce that live events will return on May 22nd in Nagoya at the Nagoya Conference Center Event Hall with events on May 24th, 25th, and 26th also to take place as scheduled in Cork and Hall on May 5th and 9th, announcement of positive COVID-19 tests among the NJPW roster caused a great deal of concern. Infected wrestlers have all continued to display minor or no symptoms and have isolated and received appropriate medical treatment. Additionally, wrestlers who have had contact with the infected or had any reason to be concerned have also independently isolated and taken relevant measures. Wrestlers who have completed their isolation period are being allowed to resume training Wrestlers and staff will only be allowed to participate in events to follow after diligent screening and on consultation with medical professionals and training staff, including on any after effects that may arise from a lengthy period of isolation. We ask for your understanding and patience in awaiting further announcements. To this further point, New Japan Pro Wrestling has maintained its COVID-19 policy drawn up under Expert advice and guidance, this includes daily temperature and blood oxygen saturation checks, as well as regular screening before events. At events, attendees are temperature screened on entry to venues. Masks are required during training and backstage, and packaged food is provided in order to limit unnecessary movement outside. However, we have taken recent developments extremely seriously, starting with improvements in testing frequency and methods. We are working to further strengthen our COVID-19 countermeasures in the future. New Japan Pro Wrestling's COVID-19 event policy continues to protect the health of every event attendee to the highest standard. We eagerly await fans in Nagoya and Tokyo from Saturday. So, young boy, New Japan is back in action. Yep. So, I mean, just uh, before we get to that, you know, uh, I think it's great that they're kind of giving us a detailed outline of everything that they've done in the past, the things that they're doing going forward how they're handling the treatment and safety of the wrestlers and those involved with the shows, everything like that. Uh, you know, I think that last year when I said initially that they didn't really highlight the idea that they were testing for every single show and we were kind of met with opposition from listeners or even those on um, Twitter that claimed, no, they were testing like for every single show. And it did come to come to light eventually, even though it wasn't um, something they highlighted in their initial like safety protocol procedure when they released it last year. They were testing, but it's very evident based on the wording here that it wasn't as frequently as some people might have presumed it to be. And, you know, what it sounds like based on just inference, likely like tested prior to a tour. And then that was pretty much it most likely um, because everything else, it says daily screenings, daily health screenings, you know, temperature checks, yada, yada. But now they're going to up the ante when it comes to the, the testing. And, you know, I don't know how, how needed it was or not needed, but I mean, I don't know how, um, how accessible the tests are in Japan, you know, 
Right. So I'm not, sh- I'm not sure what that situation even looks like. So yeah, we were critical of them, or at least I was last year. And I, I think some of my criticisms were proven to be true that it didn't sound like they were testing before every show, but um, going forward, I don't, and I, we still don't know that that's hundred percent what's going to be happening, but you know, it, this is probably the most transparent company when it comes to what they're doing, how they're handling the situation. And they have been all along the way. And uh, it sounds like they're doing everything in their power that they're capable of doing to uh, continue to, you know, deal with this safely and responsibly. The other thing too, is, you know, like they mentioned that it, not to minimize the disease or anything, but those who did come in contact with it and test positive, like, you know, are recovering, which is a good thing. So uh, not to say that they shouldn't take it seriously, because it sounds like they are, but you know, this is just where we're at. And hopefully, you know, I know that the testing, uh, not the testing, the vaccinations in Japan have been very slow going. There's a, there's a cultural disparity there between, you know, other countries where vac- vaccinations are, you know, a, a wide, like, you know, very, they happen all the time, you know, as part of the culture and like over in Japan, maybe not so much from what I understand. And also not just that, but the reddit the vaccines being readily available uh is also kind of a concern as to you know getting access for the general public so i'm hoping that that kind of changes because i we've already seen huge changes with the cdc and everything here in in america and in other countries so you know hopefully we get back to normal here very shortly with japan yeah that'll be great yeah i was very excited when the the announcement came up because i thought they were just going to wait till june um, so, yeah, glad that we're kind of picking some things back up here for New Japan. We're going to get some shows uh, starting this weekend. Um, I don't think the ones on Saturday are being aired, but I think the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Cork and Hall shows will be aired on New Japan World um, as of right now. So the, so the May 22nd show is not being aired, but the 24th, 25th, and 26th are? Yes, I think that's what, that's what I saw in New Japan World. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'm a little... Um, I'm excited that we're back, obviously, but I'm also a little concerned about these shows just from the context of, um, I don't know what they really will look like, what they'll be. We haven't had cards released just yet. And I'm like, is it going to, and it's three shows in quick succession, back to back to back, boom, boom, boom. And very often when they do that, it's a wash, rinse, repeat sort of um, formula. And, you know, it's not a Roads to Dominion card. These are Roads to Tokyo or Roads to Grand Slam, uh, right. Wrestling Grand Slam. So, um, you know, we do know that we're getting Dominion uh, at the end of the month, early, you know, June. But it looks like we're already kind of looking past that and looking towards the stadium shows that were postponed. We don't even know when they're happening necessarily. So I'm just kind of like a little cautious about all this because I'm like, what are these shows going to look like? Are they just, you know, road to shows again? Um, are we actually getting like a build to these three big monumental shows? Like what's the deal? Yeah. I'm curious to see how this is all going to kind of play out. Cause also we haven't gotten announcements on when the new dates for Russell Grand Slam and Yokohama stadium or Tokyo dome. So we don't know when those shows are happening. Um, so if, if I were them, I would maybe just kind of turn this into a Dominion tour and start the road to Dominion early 
and just really build up that Dominion card. And maybe you have to shift some of the matches you had planned for Yokohama Stadium and Tokyo Dome for Dominion. But uh, I would kind of use this tour to really build up Dominion and make that a big show, especially if the stadium and dome shows aren't going to happen for a couple months. Yeah, you were correct. I'm looking at the schedule now, 24th, 25th, and 26th. Those are all going to air live um, on New Japan World. Road to Wrestling Grand Slam, Wrestle Grand Slam. And then, you know, just a few days later is uh, Dominion on Wednesday. We're going to have one Road to Dominion show on June the 1st, which is Tuesday. Uh, and then Wednesday, which is when the show usually drops, Dominion's happening. So we'll probably be like, oh, you know what? No, I'm sorry. That's incorrect. Dominion is June the 6th. So there actually will be one, two, three. So there'll be another three uh, Cork and Hall Road 2 shows for Dominion uh, the following week. So that's kind of interesting, huh? Yeah, it is. Maybe, I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing here. We had those canceled Road to Wrestle Grand Slam shows prior. Right. And maybe we're just, they were just postponed and this is just them playing them out. And like Gato's just like, all right, we're going to just, let's play ball, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like they, that shit got canceled. Let's run it back. Like, I don't know, man. Um, that's kind of what it sounds like to me, but yeah, we're getting six road two shows in two weeks and then dominion. And then, you know, probably these other, uh, you know, these other two, um, grand slam shows. I'm guessing, I don't know. I'm looking at the schedule and I'm seeing Kazuna road tour shows right. in June. Yeah. Kazuna road is supposed to run from like the middle of June to like the middle of July. And it's like, so are we actually even getting those stadium shows? I know they they said they're postponed. Maybe like here was my, my, like what I wanted, I would have preferred. And I don't know if business sense, this makes, you know, if it's the right thing to do, but I would have liked for them to have taken all the different matches that were being built for wrestle grand slam. The ones that we know we were getting on paper and then to just do it at dominion and just make dominion a bigger event. And then just, you know, kind of like, let's hold off on two stadium shows that are not as well built right now, you know? Right. But I, I don't know if with the 5,000 capacity limit from a business standpoint that that makes sense, you know, I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's so many questions to, to be answered there. Uh, but I agree with you. I would like them to see, to make dominion a bigger deal. Cause I mean, dominion has been a big deal in the past and it really kind of dropped off last year with the whole, uh, evil angle and in evil um, getting the, the double titles from from Naito. So I uh, definitely think Dominion could use a, a, a nice little card here. And so, yeah, you know, do um, Okada Osprey at Dominion, do Cobb, Bushi, uh, do Yo Desperado, do some of these these big matches that were going to be coming up. Do them at Dominion, make Dominion a big card. Yeah, yeah. God Techers. Um, yeah, Abushi Cobb, all that shit. You yeah. know, everything that was kind of built. Yeah, Jay White, David Finley. Uh, right, exactly. And yeah. because that that right there is a Dominion, I wouldn't even say quite a Dominion level show because if you compare it to some of the Dominion shows from the past, I mean, they, you know, there was a time where Dominion was literally Wrestle Kingdom, you know, 2.0 like that's how big those those dominion shows were very often and the last two years i would say it hasn't quite felt that way especially last year but this would at least be a step in the right direction if you gave us those all these different feuds that they built 
then it kind of redeems things. But, you know, I don't know if they're still looking at Yokohama and still looking at the Tokyo Dome in the middle of the year, um, which I initially thought was a great idea. But once we saw it in practice, it it just didn't seem like it was going to be that successful um, or even intriguing from a booking standpoint. So I don't know. Yeah. And speaking of these two shows, we had a question here from Reddit user, the Peaky Blinder. Says, do you feel there is room in the calendar for the two Russell Grand Slam events later in the year with the lack of vaccination still so low, meaning the capacity limit of 5,000 is unlikely to increase soon? Do you think it's even worth doing the stadium shows, even if they can get the venues for a low, higher price? Uh, he has to edit here. The Dome show will also be dependent on what happens with the Tokyo Olympics if they go ahead. Yeah, and that was my initial thought uh, reading that question is like, well, what about the you know, what about the Olympics? And then you also have to kind of consider what about G1, you know? And I remember last year, what we didn't even get like a, a King of Pro Wrestling show, right? Right. Yeah. There's no, yeah. So, I mean, that's another thing. Like some of the more traditional shows that we're used to seeing might kind of go by the wayside, um, which I'm not opposed to if it makes sense. Um, my, my whole thing is like, I just want to see the best product possible, you know? And those two shows personally didn't feel like we were about to get the best product possible um, as counterintuitive as that might sound, because yet yeah, on paper, it sounds like when you, you talk about like two big stadium shows in the middle of the year, I mean, you're, that's some like nineties, new Japan, late eighties, new Japan sort of shit. Like that's cool. But then when you see it in practice and it's like, well, you know, there's so few actual drawing feuds that, you know, makes sense. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of angles that really built into this thing. There's not a lot of compelling stories, you know, just the general malaise. And then also the fact that we don't even know what the attendance situations would have looked like for those shows, considering the state of emergency. And yeah, I agree with everything that, you know, Peaky Blinder said here, you know, with the lack of the low uh, numbers of vaccinations you know, the capacity is, you know, kind of capped at 5,000. I don't even know if it's worth doing those shows. Um, and so like, I'd, I'd much more be inclined to see like, you know, if you're going to, if, if, I, if the best you could do is a 5,000 seat show, you know, do one of your, you know, do a sumo hall, do a, you know, whatever, you know, one of those buildings and, you know, Nippon, Budokan, stuff like that. And, run those shows and give us the best card that you possibly can. And let's try to weather the storm because yeah, you got G1 coming up. You got best super junior still on the docket down the road. You still got the Olympics coming up and you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things to kind of take into consideration when you're kind of looking at the calendar that way. Yeah. Well, and that kind of wraps up the update there on new Japan. So looking forward to those shows coming back. Also, we don't have cards yet. Uh, we'll, Review a couple of those shows next week And so kind of a little mystery vortex uh, Shows that we'll be going into here uh, So next thing we need to talk about uh, Last week on Dynamite The IWGP US Championship was on the line The champion, the deaf rider John Moxley Successfully defended against Blue Justice Yuji Nagata yeah, this was really, really, really cool. Um, it's something that we've b- both been looking forward to for quite a while. And then, you know, kind of getting the the news that it was happening on um, on Dynamite, that was like kind of shocking. We've been discussing it, obviously, at length here. But the match itself was just real. I mean, 
it was just such a cool presentation. You know, Nagata came out. He was seconded by Ren Narita. And then Moxley came out to Wild Thing for the first time, which, you know, I don't know if it's, I, I mean, I assume it's a, uh, you know, um, homage to Onita and that sort of thing. I don't know if he's tr- like trying to angle himself to get into another exploding ring barbed wire death match <laughs> <laughs> over, over at the reformed FMWE or whatever. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he came out seconded by Kingston and, um, I thought the match was very good. I thought it was very entertaining, very fun. Um, I didn't necessarily think like it held up to like, for instance, I didn't think it was on the level of some of Nagata's more recent singles matches, like each, like the Ishii new Japan cup match from a couple years ago, or like the Suzuki series from last year. But I mean, it was for this audience, it was really great. And I still think like John Moxley's just, so cool like he's a badass he's going out there and doing all these like cool and interesting things with like nick gage and blood sport and you know new japan strong and that that's just something that's like kind of intriguing and to sort of see the the mesh of you know yuji nagata from wcw back on tnt kind of having this little i don't know how long it went probably 15 minute match with uh john moxley and they went out there and they gave us a little taste of a you know your traditional you know, never open weight style match. And then, uh, you know, the post match where John Moxley and him are bowing to each other. Like I just thought it was the whole presentation was just really cool. Yeah. Everything about this was, was really awesome. And yeah, like you mentioned, love the presentation, a uh, huge pop. We talked about Narita earlier, but yeah, huge pop of Narita coming out, being a second there. Um, and just everything about the match. Yeah. Very well put together. Obviously I, I would have loved for it to go a little bit longer, uh, I believe the match was, I think, about eight minutes long, um, just from for bell time. Uh, but you know, good hard hitting stuff. I mean, I think they would have had an even better match. Like I said, if it went on longer, uh, if it was like on, like on a New Japan show, so to speak. But uh, for what it was, it, it was awesome. Really enjoyed seeing Nagata um, back on TNT in the ring with Moxley, mixing it up there. And you know, Moxley when he gets into these New Japan matches, you just feel like that that extra kind of motivation from him, especially stepping into the ring. With a guy like the guy that he really brought it. So overall, yeah. great stuff. And I, I would love to see more uh US title matches on Dynamite if we can get more guys over. Yeah, I'm not opposed to that whatsoever. I also thought it was pretty smart that they opened the show with this match. We'd been hearing rumors that it was going to close the show. That just didn't seem to make sense to me, given the fact that, you know, a lot of the fan base probably isn't as familiar with Yuji Nagata, but you know, the show opener is usually a hot match regardless of who's on it. We've seen a lot of those Cody uh, invitational matches when he was the TNT champion with, you know, guys that people were not as familiar with that kind of seemed to be the slot to put, you know, a war horse or an Eddie Kingston, that sort of situation. And so I thought that made a lot of sense to put Nagata in that, in that pl- slotment. Um, right. And plus it like, it had nothing really to do with the storylines that are going on right now. They kind of shoehorn some promos in there. So it, it had nothing really to do with any AW storyline. So okay, it made sense kind of get it out there first. So that way they can kind of pick back up with everything else. Yeah. And I thought the um, announcers did, a great job sort of just making the fans aware of who Nagata was and familiar with, you know, why he's relevant, why this, you know, what the, what the importance of this match was. And then um, the only thing I, I would have wished for, I wish Shota Umino could have seconded uh, 
freaking John Moxley. Like that was the one thing I was like, I was trying to call it be ahead. And I was like, <laughs> you know, what if shooter comes out, you know? And then we got Narita and shooter on like opposite corners, but it, yeah, it didn't go that way, but yeah, this match was great. Yeah. We had some questions here from Razor P sand 91 it says it was cool seeing Narita come out with Nagata for his match with Moxley. Is there any chance we see the young boy coming out the second <laughs> Matt Seidel for any of his matches on AEW? Yeah, I'm not exactly uh, TV ready. Uh, <laughs> maybe I also like um, I, for those of you that don't know, like I'm not exactly a, a small guy um, from a wrestling standpoint. Like I'm not like a monster or anything like that, but like, compared to most of the AEW roster, I probably am somewhat of a, of a, of a big man. Well, um, I mean, yeah, yeah, Florida Indies, man, you, you are, you're a giant on, on the Florida yeah. Indies, man. Yeah. I'm six, two and a half. So, and, you know, needless to say, like Matt's not, um, <laughs> you know, uh, that tall, uh, or as tall as me. So there, and then also like, I'm not like, you know, ring ready so it's not like i'm out here with the superstar look right now you know i need to keep uh <laughs> keep working in the gym the other thing too is i think if anyone was gonna like second him to the ring it'd probably be like one of the more seasoned veteran uh trainees from the side dojo and uh i'm the greenest of the green boys most likely uh <laughs> so no i don't think that that you'd see me coming out probably probably one of the guys that they're trying to uh get put on to dark That'd be more likely than me. <laughs> uh, his other question was also, what did you think about Moxley coming out to Wild Thing? Do you think it's a one-off or will he use a song going forward? I don't know. One thing I thought to myself was like, that seems like a pretty expensive intellectual property to purchase. So I feel like a one-time use seems to kind of make more sense to me. But I also don't understand what the re- the relevance would have been to only use it once for this particular match, it sounds like from the reports I've read that this might be his permanent music going forward, which was kind of surprising, but you know, I'm not a big fan of John Moxley's AEW music. I much prefer the death rider theme. Yeah. He did make a joke about that uh, on their, their post-match promo from strong. He's like, everybody loves my new Japan theme. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it sounds like Wild Thing is going to be here to stay. I mean, TK has been dropping a lot of money getting um, licensed music for wrestlers. Obviously, we got um, Orange Cassidy and Best Friends coming out to Where's My Mind by Pixies. We have the uh, the, the Jungle Boy song um, that they got for him. And so now it looks like Wild Thing is the latest addition to the licensed music that TK is buying up. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, keep it going on. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think the last time anyone had like licensed music, well, Ronda Rousey had bad reputation. Right. Uh, but like, aside from her, maybe like CM Punk and, uh, you know, Living Color was like the last time I could think of a WWE person having like actual licensed music. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just cool. crazy. I think it's cool them using licensed music. It definitely helps. But when you find the, the right song with the right wrestler, it definitely helps. Yeah, but you know, I don't give a shit about that stuff, so let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't care about AW anymore. They made us look like I, idiots. I don't care about AEW, bro. Like AEW's cool, but you know, I'm all about that uh you know, that fighting spirit, that Inokiism, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, let's talk about uh, New Japan Strong now. So they had the second night of the Collision Tour this past Friday. Uh, show opened up with our good friend Rocky Romero defeating newcomer AJZ. Uh, Perry AJZ, he came from the, the OVW system. Um, very well put. With, with, with Batista? <laughs> I don't know if he was in Batista's class, but I think he... And Shelton Benjamin and Rico? <laughs> I think he recently uh, came from there. Um, uh, he, he wasn't working uh, Leviathan. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think he was. Um, oh, okay, <laughs> but um, Jack guy, you know, huge vascular. Vince would would love the look of this guy. I wouldn't be surprised if you know he he gets a uh, NXT offer after being on strong. Uh, Someone getting an offer to go to NXT after being on strong—that's crazy. <laughs> That's never happened before. Yeah, that's. I don't know why I would why I would think about that. That would that would never ever ever happen. Never. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, this was AJZ's debut here. Um, I thought he looked fine. Uh, he had a ton of charisma, a ton of energy. Uh, thought thought his wrestling was fine. Nothing really like stood out to me that made me was like, man, I want to see this guy. Uh, back in New Japan for sure. Um, I'm hearing a lot of fine. You know, he was fine. Well, guess what? He didn't get that W, so it was not fine. You know why? Because he lost. And he was a heavyweight, right? Yeah. And he got beat by Rocky Romero Jr., right? Yeah. Fucking geek. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, so... Uh, He'll probably be on the next... I mean, if he was here at this point, I'm assuming we'll probably see him on the rest of the tapings. I don't know. There, it's been sort of um, touch and go with some of these guys. Like we saw, like uh, Yoda Wheeler recently, and yeah, we haven't seen him back since then. And you know, AJZ. So I don't know if like you know some of these, like for instance, like the West Coast Wrecking Crew. I don't know if guys like that are here to stay in the early days of strong. Like once you saw someone, you could kind of count on the, the fact that they were going to be around for like the next set of tapings and they'd be on like all four episodes, but now guys are kind of like making one-off appearances. And I, I, I'm assuming they're sort of like tryouts. It seems like to some degree, or, you know, maybe just establishing themselves before the company decides to go full in on them with like the next set of tapings, whatever that might be. So I don't know if we're going to be seeing more of AJZ, but um, I've heard some good things. I didn't see this episode, but uh, yeah, a lot of people had a lot to say about his physique and, you know, his uh, charisma. Yeah, yeah. I thought his look was great, charisma great, but in-ring it just, was just fine. I mean, it wasn't bad. It was just nothing really stood out. Uh, Rocky got, okay. the, got the win with a backslide. Um, it defeated AJZ. Oh, he didn't tap that man? Nah. <laughs> Shit broke his arm, made him humble. <laughs> Uh, next matchup, we had the team of Fred Rosser and Leo Rush defeating the Bullet Club team of El Phantasmo and Hikaleo. So we kind of have two feuds uh, mixed up here with, you know, ELP and Leo Rush have been feuding on Strong. And then Rosser and uh, Hikaleo have been feuding, and that's building up to their big uh, no DQ main event next week on Strong. Uh, and this was a good matchup here. Um a lot of good interactions between uh, both sets of opponents here. Um, you know, 
Hikaleo kind of staying away from Rosser in the beginning and letting ELP take care of Rosser until finally both of them get, get a, each, their hands on each other. Uh, match ends with um, Leo Rushi hits the come up that springboard stunner on ELP gets the win for the team. But then post match, Hikaleo and Fred Rosser are brawling. Uh, Leo and the you know the, the referees are trying to break it up, uh, and then they go to the back and Rosser is cutting this whole promo on. Uh, Hikaleo and he's like Oose I know your family Oose And um, you know I'm gonna kick your ass next week Oose and keep calling him Oose and I'm like Isn't Oose like a Samoan Thing Not necessarily a, a Tongan you know, thing You know I really don't know <laughs> I, I don't like, like, like I'm the wrong person to be asking like Oose uh, You know Yeah I, I don't know I've, Let me see According to at the real Rikishi from the 12th of December, 2017, his Twitter, he says, Oos is Samoan slang for brother that we use, but the correct saying is Uso. You got it, Oos. Happy holidays to all. So the Uso brothers are the brother brothers. I guess so, yeah. And that makes sense, you know, because when you uh when you're out there working, you want to show them that uh, you're a good brother, brother. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> K Fabe. So, <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, yeah, Oost is Samoan and like he's Tongan. So, I don't know if, you know. Yeah, Fred Rosser was confused there. But besides that, it, it was a good promo, very fired up, very energetic. That'd be, that'd be like, I don't know. Like, uh, I won't get into it. Never mind. I won't say anything. <laughs> Um, and also in that post-match promo, Leo Rush mentioned uh, facing off against ELP, saying, you know, ELP, every time you beat me, you had to cheat. Tonight, I beat you clean in the middle. So clearly it seems like we're going to get another ELP-Leo Rush match down the line. But, yeah, this this middle match, nice little sprint here. Good way to preview Hikaleo, Fred Rosser, and set up the potential ELP-Leo Rush rematch. Then we go to the main event elimination match. Eight-man tag here, eliminated by pinfall, submission, or over-the-top rope. We had Team Filthy, Chris Dickinson, Dane Limelight, J.R. Kratos, and Filthy Tom Lawler. And they defeated the team of Brody King, Clark Connors, Carl Fredericks, and TJP. Uh, first big thing here, Clark Connors came out first for his team solo. New gear, new music, officially announced as the Wild Rhino Clark Connors. So he's officially graduated from the LA Dojo. Yeah, man. Only New Japan Strong can a man walking out in just plain trunks with a big white stripe elicit a a super deep emotional response (laughs) out of the collective fan base. So, yeah, I mean, they're uh, they're telling stories out here, you know, much to the uh, chagrin of the detractors they try to say oh there's no stories in new japan well what the fuck do you call clark connors he's got a white stripe (laughs) he's the wild rhino dog (laughs) yeah that's a story (laughs) yeah there hasn't been a lot of build to him you know wanting to graduate and you know really be the top of the class there and trying to catch up to the alpha wolf carl fredericks who was on his team here and so, yeah, they debuted the new gear here, new music. So, clearly, Clark Carnes is on the, the up and up here in New Japan Strong. Um, and this was a, a very good main event here, 18 minutes, 36 seconds. Some good eliminations here. We had J.R. Kratos eliminating Brody King. 
Six minutes and 19 seconds. Carl Fredericks eliminated Dane Limelight. Uh, seven minutes, 45 seconds. And then we had the kind of an upset elimination here with Carl Fredericks eliminating Tom Lawler. Nine minutes and 56 seconds here. They did uh, make that kind of a big deal. Uh, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Fredericks also, you know, one of the top guys, top uh, guys from the LA Dojo. He was a guy that was kind of pushed in the early days of Strong and the the Lions Break project they did beforehand. And so they, they definitely made it seem like Fredericks could be in line for a strong open weight title because he um, eliminated Tom Lawler. Yeah, I could see that. But I mean, it's, it's all going to depend on whether Tom Lawler is still champion come in the next few weeks. Right. Um, then we had um, Dane Lineline help you know, behind the referee's back, eliminating uh, Carl Fredericks. Then J.R. Kratos eliminates TJP, which came from some uh, miscommunication between Clark Connors and TJP, which they, they were kind of teasing that story out the last time they teamed as well. There was some kind of some miscommunication between TJP and Clark Connors. So that, that might be leading somewhere. Uh, TJP was involved in miscommunications? <laughs> That's crazy. He's usually, you know, the beacon of truth and just, you know, a wise, wise man, you know, always putting, you know, com- super accurate, and compelling, truthful information out there. So I'm surprised by this. The, the great TJP. Yes, the great TJP. Yeah, I, I don't know why people always uh, would assume that he, you know, miscommunicates or that there would be that he doesn't tell the truth. You know, there was, this was an eight man tag, right? Yeah, seven great talent, seven good talents, one great talent. TJP. <laughs> he, this is the man who said he's, you know, all his career he's been trying to find somebody that he can learn from and. Unfortunately, he's never found anyone that was great enough. And I, you know, I don't know if he st- he probably felt that way about this match, too. Yeah, because that's just how good he is. It was a clinic for them. He was teaching all these guys, you know. He was teaching all of them. He's a giver. He's a giver. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, he got eliminated by J.R. Kratos. And then um, came down. Clark Connors was solo against Kratos and Connors. He was able to eliminate J.R. Kratos, came down to Chris Dickinson and Clark Connors as the last two really good closing stretch between um, both of those guys there. Nice pace, intensity, nice strikes in, but uh, Connors, the wild rhino, he could not overcome the number one contender for the strong openweight championship, and Dickinson was able to eliminate uh, Clark Connors to get the win for Team Filthy. They win the big elimination match. Dickinson gets some momentum rolling into the strong openweight title match. But the real uh, big thing that happened here was post-match. So post-match, um, all Team Filthy, they come back in. Uh, you know, they, they try to raise Dickinson's hands. He kind of you know, rips his hands away from them. And, you know, they're, they're trying to, you know, talk some things out there. Finally, they, they convince him to all lift their hands. They all raise hands. And Dane Limelight, boom, hits him with a low blow. They jump him, uh, but then Brody King comes out to make the save, and so, you know he's in uh, Violence Unlimited with Brody King and Ring of Honor. So it seems like they're going to kind of make that kind of crossover with Strong as well. So clearly, uh, team um, Dickinson no longer a member of Team Filthy, being ejected here, uh, kind of due to the, the tension that's been happening that we've been seeing build the last few weeks. So going into the Strong title match, his own man. 
Yeah. So we've got two compelling weeks for the uh, New Japan Strong Collision Tour coming up here. Um, night three will air on May 21st um, with a card of Bateman versus Alex Coughlin to open, to open Brody King and Carl Fredericks versus Team Filthy, Danny Limelight and Jared Kratos. And the main event will feature a no disqualification match. I think that's a first time in Strong history when Fred Rosser faces Hikaleo in the rubber match between those two. And then the next week we have uh, the collision tour night four, and that will be headlined with the new Japan pro wrestling strong open weight title match between Tom Lawler and Chris Dickinson, which is the one that's the big one. It's the one we're all waiting for. So yeah, definitely a big matchup. Really looking for, it's going to be a hard hitting intense match. I think it's, you know, potentially be, you know, a strong match of the year uh, contender. And yeah, this collision tour has been well built, well put together. They've been telling a lot of great stories, developing feuds, developing characters. This this these last few weeks of strong have been some of the best uh, TV that they've put out there. And I hope this this momentum continues on after the collision tour. New Japan strong right now, and this is something we weren't saying a few months ago, but right now it's the most consistent aspect of the overall new japan product um whereas i think you definitely still have the better in-ring presentation when it comes to uh you know the big matches on the big shows the big cards with new japan proper obviously but when it just comes to when you compare like your road two shows and the current state of those road two shows and compare them to like your weekly new japan strong and like you mentioned, just the progression, the character development, the storytelling, the concise nature of the show. It's just easy to watch and sort of, uh, you know, digest. It reminds me of like the, like when power was really good or when MLW first launched, it was really good. Or like, you know, the better years of like NXT, Um, except obviously this is a new Japan product. Right, and so yeah, hopefully, you know, with things opening up here in the U.S., or there's a lot of companies that are bringing fans back. Uh, AEW is going to have full capacity for Double or Nothing. Uh, Ring of Honor, they're bringing fans back in for Best in the World. So we're starting to see promotions, you know, bring fans back. WWE's rumored, I think, in July to bring fans back. So hopefully, that means that we can get some fans in the building for New Japan Strong because they're already putting out some great stuff here in an empty arena environment. And I think a really hot, you know, California crowd, you get like, you know, 300 to 500 people in in that studio building. I think that would just help put that show over the edge even more. Yeah, I agree. I I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with that product going forward uh, once we do have fans involved, because as of yet, we, we have never seen a North American audience involved with that show so far. Yeah. So that that's new Japan strong. Looking forward to the last two weeks of the collision tour here. Um, just a few short things in the news that we didn't touch on earlier. Uh, first kind of the, the impact update. So we had the under siege, uh, impact plus special this past weekend, Finn juice and Eddie Edwards. They defeated Kenny Omega and the good brothers. And then Josh Alexander successfully defended 
his X Division title against El Fantasmo. If you haven't seen those matches, both of those matches are now up on New Japan World, so you can check those out. I've heard that the Josh Alexander ELP match was match of the night, tore the house down. I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet, but I'm definitely going to watch it because I am a big fan of both of those guys. And I heard it was kind of a, kind of maybe more of a throwback to some of the older X Division. Uh, matches that used to get a ton of praise So I'm looking forward to checking that out Yo, one of my favorite things right now In wrestling was The other night when he was in that Six way at, what was it, No Surrender Was that the show? No, that was So that six way was the, the go home For Under Siege on Impact Okay, yeah, so they did the go home And I don't think Here's the funny thing, is like While yes, New Japan is the Larger company from a revenue Standpoint and visibility um i i don't know that in north america the general fan like for instance yeah they they know who the big stars are in new japan they're familiar with them they might even see some of the big main events of the major shows but like an undercard junior guy even one that's pushed they might not know someone like elp you know if if you're just a general wwe AEW, and you know like impact fan and the reason i say this is because that man came out on impact and you know did his routine the shtick that we've all seen for the last couple of years and people lost their fucking minds they could not understand now here's the funny thing is like when um when uh when your boy what's who's uh when lance archer walks the ropes and he's done some extensive walk roping in aw no one says shit but like when people see elp do his his version of the the rope walk like not only do they find it like you know unbelievable but they find you know there's a subsect of fans that are just like they're appalled <laughs> yeah. that anybody other than the undertaker would, uh, you know, do the old school and walk at the ropes and like just the criticisms that, that were being thrown out on Twitter. And, you know, I don't even really like ELP. Anyone that's listening to the show, like knows that I'm not the biggest ELP fan um, from an in-ring standpoint, but I understand that he's a phenomenal worker uh, when it comes to his athletics and dude, these people were just fucking losing. It's like, I don't know. It's like WWE has brainwashed fans to think like, you know, this, these legends are so sacred that you can't even like do the moves that they're like known for. Right. There, and there, uh, are, there are people who are pissed because he, you know, his finisher is a sudden death super kick that he was doing a super kick and that you know, he, he does the, the Undertaker pin where he does like he folds their arms over and sticks his tongue yeah. out. People were losing their mind. You know, how dare you disrespect the Undertaker? <laughs> how, you know, how dare you do this? So. Yo, he put out a tweet and he's like the Undertaker, and he's like the Undertaker couldn't like couldn't tie my shoes or like hold my jock or some shit right. like that. <laughs> I was just dying, and you know it, it's unrelated, but they did a, a spot in one of the AEW matches this week where one of the one of the young bucks did uh, the I'm sorry, I love you, and people were like, "How dare you disrespect the sanctity of Ric Flair's fake retirement match?" Right, the match <laughs> that didn't end up really being his retirement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh my god, dude, you guys. <laughs> but the um, the reason I just said that is like you know like I think it's good that there's this crossover with Impact because. It's it. There is a subsect of fans that are le- that probably weren't familiar with 
Juice Robinson or Dave Finley and definitely ELP. And, you know, say what you will about ELP. One thing that he is, if nothing else, a human highlight reel, you know, and this guy is just one of the most gifable wrestlers that are out there. And when people see him, you know, for better or for worse, they fucking lose their minds over it. And so I think it's good to kind of get him in the limelight there and sort of get more exposure on the product, which, you know, a couple of years ago, I wouldn't even have said that about impact. I wouldn't have necessarily said that it was any sort of benefit to new Japan, but where we're at right now, it, it from a business standpoint, it does kind of make sense. And I think it's a good thing for, for that synergy to kind of continue. Yeah, and uh, Tommy Dreamer did say on I think it was he was on Busted Open Radio today that there is going to be more New Japan guys coming to Impact. So it'll be interesting to see who else is going to end up coming over. I'm assuming it's probably going to be some of the more U.S. based guys. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, uh, the other big news this week: Shota Umino will be returning to Rev Pro this summer. There's been like hype videos, and you know. Um, you know, just different uh, promotional material that's been put out there to kind of like let people know that he's coming back. And, uh, you know, we've gotten this question about Shota Umino slash Shooter for a while now. And, you know, we hadn't heard much. Uh, I did listen to Jcast last week and they started doing their their little bit sort of alluding to the idea that Shota Umino would maybe, I don't know if what they were alluding to was this, sounded like they were trying to allude to the idea that he would be appearing on strong. Mm. Um, to be honest, that's what they, without saying it, you know, they do their, uh, pastrami sandwich. sandwich gimmick. Yeah. Yeah. That little gimmick, you know, we don't do the gimmicks. We just come here and say, it, say it, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, they, so, you know, if, if he shows up on strong, I don't know if that's what they were alluding to, or maybe they'd already heard that he's returning to red pro, uh, in the summer. So, um, which is great. You know, uh, I think we're all excited for that and man, he looks, he looks awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm very excited to see like what the future holds for, you know, Ren Narita and showed him, you know, so yeah, dude, the, the hype video look great. Like this, this man looks like the next ace of the company. Um, the way they presented him, the highlight videos, his look, his gear, like, Dude, this man looks like money. So uh, I'm excited he's going to be back in Rep Pro, but I, I want him back in New Japan ASAP. I agree. Uh, so we have a few questions here, and then we'll get to the recommended match of the week. So, yo, guys, we need more questions. This has uh, been, been a, a light couple weeks, you know? We're not going to go the three hours if, if we don't have enough questions. To, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but uh, no, let's get into it. So uh, first from uh, Rambo and Slam Pig, he says, since the stadium shows are out, do you think we get Okada versus Osprey for a Dominion main event? If not, what other match do you think should headline? That's a great question. You know, I don't really know the answer to it because Dominion was supposed to happen after those stadium shows. And we don't quite frankly know what we were going to be getting for Dominion. Um, so that's, that's hard to say. I mean, I, I don't know. I Okada Osprey makes the most sense to me because it's the next logical, you know, um, world heavyweight title match that's on the docket. But, you know, it sounded like they were kind of trying to uh, do that in the Tokyo Dome, you know? So 
Sure, they could do that. I think there's also the possibility they might try to set up something during these uh, next set of Road 2 shows. There's six of them. So that might be something to look out for, but I, I really don't know. I mean, what do you think they're going to do? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I have no clue. I mean, I think they should just go ahead and do Okada Osprey if both those guys are, you know, healthy and clear to, to work those shows. I would go with that. That's the only thing that's really been built up and makes sense. I don't, I feel like it'd be kind of random if you just gave another challenger, you just you put somebody over Okada. So I think that makes the most logical sense. I mean, unless you, you want a main event with Abushi Cobb, maybe? I don't know. There's not, I don't, don't see anything else that really makes uh, a ton of sense to, to main event Dominion with. Yeah. Um, and when speaking of Shota, Shota Umino, he asked, Shota Umino's excursion looks to be kicking off again soon. Any matchups at Rev Pro that you're interested in for him? It's a great question. You know, um, I haven't been as up on the product since COVID hit, but there's a few guys over there that I've seen that I like. Um, you know, Michael Oku stands out. Mm. Um, Ricky Knight Jr. is very good. That's one. Um, Kyle Fletcher from Aussie Open is another guy that I think would be interesting to see him work with. Chris Ridgeway. Those are like the those are the guys that I know are Callum Newman. Those are a few of the guys that I know that are like in the company. Obviously, there's always uh, Will Osprey whenever he makes it back as well. Right, and also uh, Zach Saber Jr. If he ever goes back as well. Yeah. Yep. That's true too. So yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the cage match roster. Who's worked in 2021? There's only been you know a shoestring um, roster of guys, about 28 people, you know, that have worked this year, and then I'm kind of kind of looking at last year and i mean they had 82 you know so you know pretty big difference there (laughs) um and i'm not even totally familiar with all the talent that they have but you know the guys that i mentioned are the ones that i know that are there um i know there's some new japan guys that make frequent trips el phantasma was one of them that might be something that's interesting too so yeah, and yeah, you mentioned all the Red Pro guys that I know that I would would have thought of. I don't know a lot of the other guys. I know like Dan Maloney is somebody I think that is somebody they've been pushing who used to be from NXT uh, NXT UK. And I think he was in the, the finals of their um, the SWE that the tournament they were doing. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some other names here like Dan McGee. I'm not as familiar with. You know, um, people I haven't really seen. So, you know, I, I couldn't speak to all that. I mean, I, I do wonder who from New Japan will be returning once. I think that will be an interesting thing, too, is like once uh, the doors kind of open. Because, I mean, if you look at Rev Pro prior to the pandemic, I mean, they weren't just a primarily domestic, you know, Brit Res product. I mean, you had like Eddie Kingston and, you know, Pac and Amazing Red and, Cavernario, all these different guys from around the world, LA Park, you know, working there. And then that sort of stopped once, you know, the pandemic began. So I think there'll be other interesting opportunities for him as well, you know, if travel restrictions kind of subside and things become safer too. Yeah. 
So moving on to next question from Mitch MM22. So is there any unspoken rule in New Japan that you can't win the top title and have a banger entrance song? I don't think it's a coincidence that Suzuki and Goto are the top two guys that never got a run with the top belt. <laughs> That's a funny question. But I mean, I can debunk that pretty easily. Kenny Omega, Kazushiko Kata, Tetsuya Naito, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Shinsuke Nakamura. Yeah, there have been plenty of uh, <laughs> IWGP champions that have had great entrance musics. Who, um, I'm guessing he probably doesn't like uh, Osprey's. Osprey's current theme. Which, like, I don't I don't even know what his current theme is, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I, like, I, liked, I like his current theme. Honestly, I, I liked Elevated better, but I think this kind of fits the, the whole heel run. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it is, so I couldn't comment and on it. Maybe. Elevated was elevated was like once you heard that dun, 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 like you're like, oh shit. Yeah, it's about <laughs> to go down. Um yeah, maybe he doesn't he doesn't like Kota Bushi's theme, maybe. You know the- yeah, I mean I, I'm not like the biggest Kota Bushi theme guy ever, but it's not bad. I mean it, it is what it is. I don't know. Yeah. But I do Agree. I do love Suzuki's and also Goto's. Goto's theme is actually one of my favorite themes. Goto's theme is uh, the funny thing is like uh, I'll be watching the show and like my girlfriend likes to be like <laughs> like just fucks it up and I'm like what are you doing right now? Oh, uh, the, yeah, his theme um, anytime he comes out we have to watch the whole thing and anytime uh fucking tai chi comes out like we have to watch the whole thing yeah your girlfriend loves tai chi yeah i don't get it bro <laughs> <laughs> uh next set of questions here from ready's viking pain first says what do you guys think will happen to shingo now there's no ic title and he already went through the never stuff already so will he be pushed down the card and do you think the two back-to-back losses to osprey will hurt him yeah i mean i think that's a thought subconsciously that I've sort of had, I don't know if I've kind of worked it all out, but that's something I've thought about is, you know, the never, this is why I'm just really from a common sense standpoint, I'm really against the whole amalgamation of the titles. Cause it's like the never title. Yeah, sure. It's being elevated, but you have all these guys that held it previously when it was an important title, but not number two, title in the company level you know like suzuki like ishii like shingo and now for them it's a weird spot because if they regain it it's like they're retreading water they've already been there but it was nowhere near as important when they had it so it's like i guess technically a more prestigious accomplishment at this point but uh but they already did it you know so it's like not a new level for them unless you know i don't know you know i don't know how you kind of suss that whole thing out yeah i'm not sure what the, the next step for him is you know I, I would think maybe continue maybe you can play off the the lij empire feud and maybe he kind of does a few maybe with like great Ocon or somebody like that or does a feud with uh aaron hanare because in hanare does you know wanted to face shingo he shingo's another one of those guys where he Wanted to be kind of like Ishii, so maybe you you kind of do a, a Hanare Shingo feud now that he's Aaron Hanare, um, and continue that that Empire Lij feud until you can get Shingo into 
either another feud or till the G1 starts. Because, yeah, I don't really see him. I mean, they, they could do Shingo Jay White for the Never title. Um, but I still don't see him winning that back right away. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, at this point, there are less t- titles in the company, which, you know, some people have said that's a good thing. And, I mean, I guess from a certain standpoint, it is. But I think that they probably should have gotten rid of either like the U.S. belt or one of the tag titles, you know, one of the lower tiered belts. I don't think getting rid of the IC title really made a lot of sense from a business standpoint. I still feel that way. And I mean, this is a conundrum right here. You have a lot of guys who are on the rise who had never accomplished that goal of holding that title. And now they can't obtain that sort of, you know, goal mark. So what's next for them? They kind of have to tread water. Um, I think the thing with Shingo, though, if you want my honest opinion, I think he's fine because I think the G1 is going to be a pretty important spot for him. I'm not saying he's going to win it or anything. Maybe he will. You got to figure he's probably one of the um, favorites, especially if Will Ospreay potentially loses the title to someone like Okada, then I think that puts uh, Shingo's, you know, chances of winning at even higher in my estimation. But um, yeah, I think that that's the next step for him is like, you know, doing really well in the, um, the G1 long-term though. I don't know. Cause you know, this is, this is kind of quite a conundrum. The never, he already held the never title several times and winning it again might not even that might kind of be a setback for him you know just like how for guys like naito and nakamura like retreading the waters of the icy title over and over again kind of became like a you know like an albatross around their neck right but yeah i, I don't think the two losses to osprey hurt him at all uh also the first the new japan cup loss there was distractions from b Priestley, and then the most the wrestling dontaku match was Super, super competitive and literally could have gone either way and just lost by, you know, by one hair. And so I actually think that match definitely raised his stock and the fact that he was an IWGP uh, World Heavyweight uh, title challenger, I think definitely elevates him to higher status. And with that, like you said, I do think he's going to do very well in the G1 this year. You know, previous years he, he was a junior or, you know, he had not challenged for the IWGP heavyweight title yet, so he didn't do the best in those terms. He had great matches, but points-wise, I, I don't think he's... I think he only got, like, eight points last year, if I remember correctly. Um, so, this year... I, I think... I think the one thing that might be a benefit of not having that IC title to kind of rely on, though, is it does eradicate a little bit of the formula that they'd sort of been relying on and it opens up the door for more interpersonal feuds, you know? And I think that that's something that might need to be kind of like highlighted and focused on is like Shingo should be having personal feuds with high level competition. Uh, I don't know who specifically, I mean, we've seen him in feuds with guys like Ishii and Minoru Suzuki in the past, but there's a lot of, other talent he hasn't really worked with you know on a on a close level like that and so maybe this opens the door for some more of that sort of stuff yeah 
Uh, see his next question. Any updates on our Grand Slam shows? You know, Dominion's right around the corner. So, so are these two shows being moved to the summer? We kind of touched on that earlier. Yeah, we don't have any idea of when Wrestle Grand Slam would happen. Um, they, I guess they could do it after the Casino Road Tour, but yeah, we don't have any info on that. <laughs> uh, next question. He said, since everyone's been doing it, give us your opinion on Cody's promo. And I think he means the infamous American Dream promo. Yeah, that happened on last week's Dynamite uh, following the IWGP <laughs> title defense. Oh boy, man! I, I just I felt like this promo was just kind of all over the place for Cody. You know, and I I think Cody is, is a good promo and does give uh, some good and passion, uh, fiery you know Bayface promos most of the time. Uh, but yeah, this this promo just just wasn't it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's putting it mildly. Uh, yeah, I just um, you know the here's one thing I will say is like I don't want to get too political or anything like that. I think his intent with what he was saying came from a good place, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I think you know it's uh it's difficult to kind of toe the line of like I don't know trying to like do a patriotic sort of impassioned promo in 2021 and not also conjure you know um images of like hardcore right-wing you know conservatism and I think for some of especially since you know I I think um it's denied a lot, but in my estimation, I think that there is a lot of like sort of like younger liberal leaning um, fans of that product, you know, and I think that they've appealed to them a lot. And so I think sometimes like doing a promo like this might be a little bit tone deaf. And I'm not even saying that I personally disagreed with anything he said in particular, but it just, you know, we just came off of this like really tumultuous, like a uh, presidential season and then doing something that's patriotic as well as sort of like political sounding, it just kind of opens you up for criticism right out the gate. Even if what you're saying is not necessarily wrong, you know, right. It just, it just opens it to that kind of comparison. Um, so there's that, but from an objective standpoint, I think this was just truly a bad promo. <laughs> uh, and it has nothing to do with the content. In fact, I think, there is deep down a good promo in there somewhere with what he was saying, but I think he tried to do too much because like, you know, the way I kind of, if, if I was giving you a summary of what he was trying to say, he was like, you know, America's great, but it wasn't always great. Like, you know, it used to be really bad, but then it got good, but then it wasn't really good in the sixties either. Um, so we kind of, we come a long way and, you know, like, Blacks and whites used to not be able to like eat together. And now we're having a mixed race baby, which is great. And uh, that's really cool. But then Anthony Go goes from Britain, which is bad, but not really because they're like an ally of ours. So I don't want to disparage Britain, but I do want to disparage Anthony Go Go for being British, British, but not the rest of the wrestlers that I wrestled that were all really good British wrestlers, just him because he's a disgrace. And, you know, He's trying to be a freeloader on America, but there's nothing wrong with that. You know, America's a, an American dream, but, you know, I am the American dream. I'm Cody Rhodes. I'm the American dream. 
Yeah, dude, that 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 like it just didn't make sense. Like he he kept backtracking everything he's saying and like trying to like tie in like history and his daughter and his family and his dad and Anthony Gogo and like almost trying to do like an evil foreign heel thing, but like he's not really an evil foreign heel. Like so right. it's and, like and that's the thing with Cody, we've seen like he he wants to relive a lot of the stuff he loves, all these kind of big 80s moments in wrestling. Uh, we see it in all the stuff that he does, you know, with, you know, the, the strap match and the NWA title matches and some of his promos, some of his angles. <laughs> you know, I'm never going to challenge for the title. A lot of these angles that he does are, you know, come from the 80s and stuff that his dad did or guys he liked doing. And it's clear that Cody wants to be Hulk Hogan. He he has the weight. He has the weight belt. You know he he and, and this whole situation here. He's making himself the the American dream. You know the the, the all American guy that's going to come and fight this evil foreigner Anthony Gogo. I think it's what he's trying to kind of position himself here in that kind of you know '90s Hulk Hogan role. He's going to fight off the evil foreigner. You know Gogo laid his flag over him the previous week, and they're they're kind of going there. But it's like, come on, man, like. 2021 uh we, we don't the u.s does not have beef with with uh uk or england you know listen I, i'll tell you this much do i think an evil evil foreign heel gimmick can work in 2021 yes i do i absolutely think that can work we've seen it in wwe it worked with rusev and john cena perfectly you know that man came into the fucking place on a tank you know um you know, I know relations aren't the best, but we're not at fucking war with Russia or, you know, the Soviet Union or whatever the fuck. Like, <laughs> but it worked because he was a heel, a nationalistic heel. But like Anthony Gogo is is just a heel who happens to be British. Right. He's he's not a heel because he's British. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not the same thing, you know? And it's like, okay, he put his flag over you and you're like, I, he had the one line where he's like, uh, you know, you're you're here trying to live the American dream, but repping your flag, and that was like kind of screaming like, "Who? I don't know, man. You kind of kind of tone a line. I don't don't I don't think you want to go there, Cody. Like, but it, again, to me, it wasn't the content. It was just like, you know, and uh, we got into it with some of our friends in the wrestling group. You know, I don't have to say names, but we clearly have some big Cody fans. <laughs> on this network and i was just like dude i think cody's a fantastic promo but i do objectively think this is probably the single worst promo in aw history because it just wasn't good you know it just wasn't good you know and and i know that you could try to use an argument and say like that promos are subjective but i don't think they are you know like I think a good speech giver, regardless of whether you agree with the content of the message, doesn't negate their competency at speaking, you know? Right. And someone who is a good speech giver, a good preacher, a good public speaker, orator, like that's going to come through. And this was not a well thought out or a well reasoned or put together promo because it meandered, it wandered. It was in circles. It didn't make sense. And you kind of have to like go on a journey of your own to like interpret it, to put it all together, to make it into something that it, it just simply wasn't. And yeah. the, the vast majority of people that I've seen online that listen to and watch this, and 
I'm sure there were people that liked it, but the vast majority was people being like, what the fuck was that? Right. And that's what I say, you know, the, the whole point of Cody's promo, you're, you're supposed to get on his side and he was supposed to be, you know, convincing the fans to kind of back him up and get them simpy and support him in this match. And after that promo, it seems like majority of people are like, I want Ogogo to knock this man out. <laughs> Come double or nothing. <laughs> uh, it was like that um, that song from the TikTok video. I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, so. Oh, man. Like, literally the whole promo, like, we were just sitting there and we we're like, what is he talking about right now? And that was the thing. What is he talking about? So, yeah, I didn't think it was good at all. Sucked. Yeah, and a go-go smoked him on uh, Dark Elevation last night with a great promo, so. Was, nobody nobody watches that shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, he, the next question, he said, we know young boy has been training to be a wrestler, but what about Jeremy? Why is the next Kurt Angle just doing a New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast? <laughs> uh, I appreciate that Viking pain that you, that you think I could, I could be the next Kurt Angle, but bro, that's bullshit. You cannot be. <laughs> there's never been anyone like Kurt Angle ever. <laughs> oh man, uh, man, my, my my bumping days are over. Man, I I'm 31, about to be 32. My my back hurts if I sleep the wrong way. I, I can't imagine what would happen if I go and take a bump i you'd be you'd be fine man you could do it <laughs> yeah. you could easily do it yeah i don't know man it just uh, if if i was gonna do it, i mean you, you gotta put your everything into wrestling man and you know i got a full-time job i'm very involved in my church dating somebody right now it's like i just don't know if i would have a time to, to dedicate to the way if i was gonna do it the way i want to as far as working out and going to training and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know, man. I, I think the boat just kind of, I, I kind of missed the boat. Should have done it back when I was in, you know, John Juris shape and John Juris days and it was more in that, that, that path. But I don't know. I enjoy the podcast stuff. You know, if, if a broadcast opportunity opened up in the wrestling world, that'd be pretty cool. But yeah. Listen, man, come, come down to the side dojo and I'll stretch you. <laughs> Uh, Last it. question from, from uh, the Peaky Blinder. He said, as we've had no New Japan Pro Wrestling matches since the last podcast, what are your thoughts on New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, guys in action in other promotions, i.e. ELP versus Josh Alexander for the X Division title, Under Siege Impact Wrestling, Renderita on AEW Dark Tonight? Um, I mean, the one I'll start uh, and just say, I think it's great. Um there's a lot of guys involved with new Japan that have dates outside. You know, we interviewed Chris Dickinson and I mean, he's got to be one of the busiest uh, new Japan adjacent or affiliated wrestlers out there, you know, working dates for beyond and, you know, GCW and all these other independent companies. And there's a lot of guys like that. And, you know, some of the more like new Japan proper talents that, you know, have worked in Japan that are, over here stateside or even a guy like Robbie Eagles doing a lot of stuff in, in um, Australia. It's going to be tough for us when it comes to, um, you know, excursion match of the year, we're going to have our work cut out for us, but I mean, John Moxley, stuff like that. I think that, I think it's great. You know, I love how open the wrestling world has kind of become due to the pandemic. 
Yeah, I echo everything you said there. I'm I'm loving it. Um, especially we mentioned, you know, just opening up that North American fan base, that that impact fan base who might not really know New Japan all that well. Um, getting some eyes on the Lion Mark that way. And yeah, I know you said we have our work cut out for us, but yeah, it's, it's kind of helps with because I feel like last year's excursion match of the year w- was pretty rough, but with the impact doors being open, the AEW doors being open, and some some other independent doors, we're, we're seeing some higher quality um, excursion matchups and seeing these guys get a chance. And, and it's, it's fresh matchups, you know. Uh, you get a chance to see like never would I have thought that we would have seen a, a Josh Alexander. Versus ELP match, or or that we would see, um, you know, Yuji Nagata versus uh, John Moxley on Dynamite, and you know, hopefully we will see Ren Narita on um, AEW Dark if that match ends up airing. Um, but yeah, all these doors just being opened up and guys being able to cross over. I mean, we, we got um, you know Kenny Omega is going to be facing uh, Andrade for the the AAA title coming up at Triple Mania, and just seeing all these different cross paths and. People facing each other in different promotions, different countries. It's just great for the wrestling business. Um, it's it ignites fandom and it introduces people to to new wrestlers. There might be an Impact fan who, who like you mentioned, never seen a El Fantasmo match in his life, and maybe after seeing the Josh Alexander match, match is hooked and wants to watch more ELP. Um, so overall, I think it's great, and I hope we continue to see more of it. I agree. And so to close the show off here, we have recommended match of the week. So last week, Josh, you recommended to me and the listeners to watch Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Shinsuke Nakamura from March 30th, 2008. This is for the IWGP heavyweight title. Um, and this was a awesome matchup here. Um, it, it's always so weird just seeing Nakamura uh, pre King of Strong Style. Uh, oh no, this was King of Strong Style. This is when he was the real King of Strong Style. <laughs> well, I, I mean, like with the you know the Freddie Mercury and the jacket and the dancing and the crown. Right. It was kind of weird seeing him more as the the you know the shooter uh, Nakamura. Uh, but man, the wrestling in this match was just so damn good. With the, the opening, with the grappling, uh, the chain wrestling they were doing, the, the counters, everything was just so smooth, executed perfectly. Um, just the way they were going in and out of headlocks and waist locks and holds. Um, you know, Tanahashi trying to was trying to work over the arm in the beginning of the match and just Nakamura with his kind of MMA background expertise getting out of Tanahashi's holds and uh, getting in holes of his own. Um, there's a part where um, Nakamura hits a, a plancha to the outside, which is pretty cool. Tanahashi comes back with the dragon screws, starts working over the legs, and we're seeing some st- uh, stiff strikes between both guys. And Nakamura's just kicking the crap out of Tanahashi. Uh, Tanahashi hitting a lot of his big moves, you know, the, the middle rope, uh, senton, uh, his sling blades. Uh, Nakamura had a lot of great counter submissions in this match. There's one spot where Tanahashi hits a, a big power bomb, but Nakamura, Nakamura counters it into a triangle choke. Um, Tanahashi, again, I mentioned some of his big offenses. He had the Texas Clover hold for a near submission there. Um, and, and then the, the closing stretch was just awesome here. 
um, with Tanahashi hitting, uh, hits two sling blades. He hits a high fly flow, and I thought that was going to be it because I also I didn't know who I didn't see the results of this matchup uh, before I watched it. So he hits the high fly flow. I'm like, oh, after two sling blades, and that, that's it. But Nakamura kicks out. Uh, crowds are really behind Tanahashi in this matchup. Uh, he goes back up for a, ne- a second high fly flow, but Nakamura gets the knees up. He hits his uh, Samoan driver move for a great near fall there. And then I just had a series of just incredible near falls back and forth, back and forth. Um, Nakamura um, goes for the arm bar. Tanahashi reverses into a schoolboy. Um, Nakamura kicks out at the last second, and Tanahashi gets an O'Connor roll. Nakamura kicks out again, turns that into the arm bar, and Tanahashi immediately taps out because he gets the arm um, fully extended. There's nowhere Tanahashi can go, taps out. Uh, man, just great, great matchup. Just like I said, the work was so good. The story was so good. Like, just everything they did was just so crisp and just executed perfectly. Yeah, and it was really interesting with this match to see it kind of uh, come off of uh, this is a rematch of the Wrestle Kingdom, or I don't even know if it was Wrestle Kingdom. I think it was Wrestle Kingdom 2, or if it wasn't, it might have been one of the uh, January 4th Tokyo Dome. Uh, shows but um up to this point i would say easily the best nakamura tanahashi match in their long storied rivalry you know and i don't know if everyone's kind of aware but like they were their generation's version of like john cena and randy orton you know um crowd here super hot for tanahashi like every time tanahashi almost won like they were super behind him and he kind of played like the dick heel like definitely leaning more to, to towards like a dickish heel than uh you know the kind of like triumphant baby face so you, you might be more used to nowadays right like, but, we, saw, um, like we saw in the kanemoto match of the, the crowd when we voted read that match last week the crowd was more behind kanemoto and tanahashi was more of that kind of you know baby face um on fire and, and in peril and trying to beat the this heel that's you know beating the crap out of him yeah he plays super cocky in this match so that's one thing that's interesting and then you know, the story of Nakamura kind of overcoming the odds and the leg attack to, you know, catch this man slipping and tap him out. Really, really good match. Highly recommend it. If you haven't seen it, you know, go out of your way to catch this one, especially if you're a fan of either of these guys, which most of you should be. Yeah, great matchup. So now the uh, recommended match of the week this week. It's my pick, and this is going to come from... King of Pro Wrestling 2013. It's for the IWGP Intercontinental title. Shinsuke Nakamura defending against Naomichi Marafuji. Yes, I'm pretty confident I've seen this match before, but it's been quite a while, so um, I will definitely check it out and get back to you guys next week, especially since, uh, yeah, next week's going to be weird, right? Like, we've got three row two shows early next week, like in the middle of the recording schedule. Yeah. So for sure, we'll be able to review the Monday show, depending on how Tuesday winds up, we might be able to get at least at least we'll have the Tuesday results going into the Tuesday night recording. So we'll have two shows to kind of, we'll have two shows of results to talk about for next week. Awesome. And then of course we'll have um, night three of the, the collision tour to talk about as well. So yeah, so we should have uh, plenty of stuff to talk about next week. 
But that's going to wrap things up for this week's episode of Keeping It Strong Style. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com. Flash donate. Click on that donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. The show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. I'm at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I am the pro black guy. Y'all just keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. Make sure you check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We have One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. We have the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. We have the Grave Consequences Podcast with Caleb and Maserati. The 8-Bit Suplex with Josh, Number 2, and Sandy. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. And the Great Match Generator. Also, we had a return of Grown Men. Watch this shit last week talking some Noah so check that out as well and don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review and we will and and also for those of you that caught this week's episode we love your guys uh, interactions with us but you know reach out to Chris Dickinson let him know you know send him a line let him know you know what you thought of his uh, interview with us and kind of show your support of the show that way this week as well yeah, and also too, uh, Social Suplex Draft uh, episode is going to be coming out soon as well. So be on the lookout for that on your feeds. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's your bond. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. See you next time.